Well, I love werewolves. They're, they're, they're a great thing. They're, it's like, it's again, coming talking about the fantasy stuff before, werewolves are ridiculous when you really think about it. You know, the, the fact that someone is going to change into a, into a completely different animal um, and then kill and eat people and then get better in the morning is, is insane. Uh, but once you enter that world, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, if we're doing that, let's do it. and welcome to Spill Your Guts. I'm your host, Kevin Lane. Imagine with your favorite horror movie, if instead of yelling at the screen, don't go in there or don't drop the knife, you could actually have the choice to run out of the house or chop the killer's head off while he's lying on the ground pretending to be dead. Horror movies offer a lot in terms of an experience, but one thing they don't offer is choice. For that, we look to genre gaming. The birth of survival horror in gaming broke out with the success of Capcom's iconic Resident Evil in 1996. This was, for many, the first game that really embraced the influences of classic horror films while offering a gaming experience that was both edge-of-your-seat suspense and exciting action. Not to mention its fair share of camp, with memorable lines like, It's a weapon. It's really powerful. Especially against living things. And, I'm sorry for my lack of manners, but I'm not used to escorting men. Resident Evil has, of course, gone on to become a horror gaming staple. But it also helped to create an entire genre of gaming where you make the choices that will keep your character alive until sunrise or, you know, get eaten or decapitated or filleted or impaled or exsanguinated. You get the idea. And choice offers a level of immersion that is different to film. Gaming is participatory, whereas film is a passive experience. In gaming, you are affecting the outcome, and in a good game, your decisions matter. One of the most successful examples of survival horror gaming in recent memory is the 2015 PlayStation 4 game, Until Dawn. Written by genre legend Larry Fessenden and frequent collaborator Graham Resnick, set in a blizzardy mountaintop ski resort, a group of friends, which includes Oscar winner Rami Malek and fan favorite Hayden Penetier, must survive the night against a mass killer, something evil lurking in the woods, and each other. It's a wild ride full of twists and turns and particularly effective scares. The game was a surprise hit for Sony and game developer Supermassive Games and has gone on to become a horror gaming classic, with people even having Until Dawn gatherings where everyone plays the game and decides as a group what choices to make. The game's director is Will Biles. Will is the studio director for England-based game developer Supermassive Games. With the success of Until Dawn, Will and his team at Supermassive went to work on developing their next big horror title, The Quarry. Fully embracing the classic tropes of the summer camp slasher, the game features an all-star horror cast including David Arquette, Ted Raimi, Grace Zabriskie, Lynn Shea, and Lance Henriksen. And the would-be victims are all played by likable and engaging young actors. A love letter to many of your favorite woodsy slasher films and filled with truly surprising twists, The Quarry was one of the best games of 2022. Will's immense talent and passion for both games and film is felt all through until Dawn and The Quarry. These games don't give the illusion of choice, a cheap trick pulled by many genre games. Your choices actually matter and drastically change your experience. Seeing your favorite character who you fought hard to keep alive suffer a terrible fate because you chose to run instead of fight back can be devastating. 
and there is no respawning. They're dead. Like, dead dead. Will dives into how he developed a passion for developing and creating games, charting out the many different branches the story can follow and how to keep it all making sense, and working with actors to create performances using motion capture. Take notes if you want to keep your characters alive, but remember, if you do, you're going to miss out on some wonderfully horrific death scenes lovingly crafted by one of the masters of gaming horror, Will Biles. Hey, Will. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? <laughs> really good, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Well, I want to thank you for uh, for coming on and chatting with me today. I'm really looking You're forward. You're really welcome. I'm excited. Yeah, it's we uh, we've I've had you know three other people that, that were involved in the quarry on the show: Zach Tinker, Ted Ramey, and and Graham Resnick. So every All single one of the people like, as well wonderful all of them and all of them were like you gotta talk to will because i was asking them all <laughs> kinds of questions about the game they were like i don't know that's a will question right so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i remember particularly like i was talking to zach and i was like so how did you know when when you're working with will in the game how did how did he go about this sort of thing he was like i don't know how he does any of that shit man you're gonna have to ask him that like because right. it's all it was like he was like it's all sort of voodoo to me <laughs> it's just like okay okay all right so i'm i'm excited to sort of get into it with you and also i gotta say the quarry was my favorite genre game of last year i thought it was just oh fantastic fucking, thank you that's great yeah that's good to hear i actually. mean it's nice. And I, I play every horror game that comes out. So, you know, every single one. You know what? We got some really lovely stuff. Over the last month or two, we've just got so many best of 2022s. Uh, you know, it's it's been really kind of like, wow, okay, this is great. It's really, really, uh, it's kind of exceeded our expectations in the in the reception that it's had. It's fantastic. Um, so, yeah, exciting. You know what I think it is? I think it's like there were so many horror games I played in 2022 a lot of them were good, but but a lot of them were really grim and and unpleasant. Um, and by the time they were done, you were like, "I gotta take a shower." That's kind of that was gross. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you know. I think the quarry has this wonderful balance of the genre elements, you know, the gore, the dark stuff, but but humor and and characters that you enjoy spending time with, so that it isn't exhausting by the time you're ten hours of gameplay or whatever it is are finished. I think, you know what, so I always think as well, so there's a a thing about horror that I think is a really important thing to remember is, uh, well, it's two things, actually. Uh, there's probably loads of things, but there's two things in my mind. One of them is that, for me, definitely, horror really is fantasy. It's a fantasy. It's like, you know, it's, it's there usually is some sort of magical element to it. You know, vampires or werewolves or something. It's kind of has a supernatural side to it, which kind of sits outside of the... Of, of real life so there's a little tiny bit of you unless you're massively superstitious that goes oh this is pretend but it's kind of it's exciting pretend so there's that side that whole fantasy side is really important but the biggest thing and i think this is certainly for the kind of games that we make where it's very choice-based and it's very much um you know uh dependent on what you do depends on who lives and dies is the um is the idea that there are really it's just about people it's about people and relationships and if you get those right and then put those people uh, with those relationships and all the issues that they've got going on in something that's really, really hostile, a whole bunch of magic kind of comes out of that. And and suddenly people's behaviours change. I'm, I'm, this is going to sound, I'm going to use the word wanky here. This is going to sound a bit wanky. We use, um, 
Maslow's <laughs> hierarchy of needs. It is working out, no, sorry. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is this thing where um, somebody called Maslow, uh, oddly enough, uh, came up with this idea that there's a, there's a series of things that you have to be, o- be okay with before you can worry about the next thing. And it starts right down at the bottom. And I think that's called um, just be alive, basically. It's homeostasis, I think, where you've got to be able to breathe. If you can't breathe, literally your mortgage doesn't matter. Nothing else matters. It's like breathing is the, the most right. important thing. Um, right. If, once you've got that and you're fine breathing, then the next thing is like, okay, well, then it's just shelter and warmth and food and be able to survive. Um, and so once you've got that, then you can get to the next layer and next layer and next layer. And it goes up and up and up and the, and the kind of the things become less important till you get to the very top. And the very top is uh, what he calls is self-actualization. And that's where all we are. <laughs> that's where the first world is. And that's where, you know, we have first world problems. It's like, you know, our self-actualization. It's much more about how we feel about stuff. What we, you know, it's not about breathing. It's not about survival in the way that a lot of people are. It's that little top bit. Um, and that's a great place to be. It's a really, it's a, it's a very privileged place to be. Um, and sometimes we, we get kicked out of that for whatever reasons. You know, we get kicked out of it for um, financial reasons. Just, you know, you might just get in a car crash. Suddenly that all changes. There's a lot of re- things that can knock that out. But when it does, your behavior has to adapt to that. And what we do with the, with the kind of the horror stuff is just basically set everybody up in a kind of a, in the, the worried about, you know, who's going to be kissing who at the fire pit to, oh my God, who's going to actually save me from this or, or help me there? Um, and it's taking away those layers till you end up with very, very low down um, self-actualization. I found self, not self-actualization. You get very, very low down on that hierarchy. So there's a scene, for instance, with we specifically put right. it in with Jacob, where if he, only if he takes away the rotor arm from the car at the beginning, and only if, and if he decides when he hears the scream from um, uh, Abby, if he gets up there and drops the rotor arm in the water and then decides to dive in and then buggers all that stuff up, that he'll end up drowning. And that whole thing, of and not supernatural, has nothing to do with the horror, just, just like, oh, fuck, you really bollocks that up and you ended up drowning. But that whole thing of going from self actualization about... <laughs> you know, uh, sabotaging a car so he can have one last night with his girlfriend to not being able to breathe was a really, you know, a big descent through that hierarchy. Um, so I told you it was a bit wanky, but, but it's quite a useful, it's a good gauge for us to kind of put people in and out of that. And like I say, the, the thing for me is about those relationships. And, those, and when you put people under stress, under relationships, uh, in those relationships, then, you know, the sparks start to happen, the friction starts to happen. And uh, and, yeah. and I think that's that's, Kind of for yeah. me where the magic happens as well. I think, you know, it's interesting too, because I think in some games, when the subject matter gets too grisly or too dark, I think in movies we can handle that a little bit easier because it's it's a passive experience in a way. You're you're you know it's a director's vision and you're safely in uh, you know, you're not but when you're playing it in a game and you know, I I won't say the name of the game because I don't want to slag anybody's game off, but there was a game I was playing this year. And it was a well-done game. It was creepy. But there was one sequence where you have to do a particularly grisly sort of autopsy kind of thing. And it was really graphic and and it lasted quite a while. And I was just like, this is 
because I you're doing it. You know what I mean? I was like, this is too much. Like, and I can I can I've seen every kind of horror movie. I've seen the really, you know, I don't really like the really grisly ones that are, you know, I don't like mean spirited horror is what I would call that. You know, where <laughs> where you're watching, you're like, just everything is about how badly can you torture these people? Yeah, 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 you know? absolutely. Um, but I think it's even harder in a game because you're you're the level of immersion is there in a way that it isn't with a film. That's, um, yeah, you know what, you're right. There's a, but also there's a thing, and this is actually something we, we genuinely try to exploit, which is the, um, the, the difference between first-person and third-person storytelling. And I don't mean cameras. I don't mean uh, like first-person and third-person games. It's not like an FPS or anything like that. Um, most most right. narratives, most, but not all, but certainly most narratives are what are called third-person omniscient narratives. And that's basically, it's um, it's writing about somebody in the third person, often in the past, you know, they use, you know um, she said, he said, whatever. Um, right. Uh, and then occasionally you're, the, the author will then talk about something that's happening that the, the character doesn't know about, uh, a scene off or whatever, that gives the reader context um, about... A, a scene in itself, a, a kind of entire um, scenario. And that omniscient gives you a load of kind of uh, angles to think about and jeopardise uh, for that character. So so Stephen King does it really, really well. He does a... Uh, obviously he does because he's Stephen King, but um, <laughs> <laughs> he does a thing where um, often he'll he'll get to the end of a, of, a, of a chapter and you'll be talking about somebody that you really like and then you'll just get something like, and that was the last thing he ever saw. And then you can move on. It's like... But yeah. what? <laughs> because he's suddenly you now yeah. know that that's going to be really bad for him, and that omniscience is a really interesting thing. So there's that. Um, the other thing is because it's third person, every single emotion you feel is a vicarious sort of empathic emotion. It's like you're living through somebody else and empathizing with that emotion, which is great. And it's like we're we're empathic creatures, so that's a really good way for us to uh, understand and feel that. Um, but with a game. Your the emotions are yours, like you say. That it's like you do something. If you kill somebody in a game, um, and it matters, i.e., they don't get just get better and respawn somewhere else. Um, if you kill someone in, in in one of our games, for instance, that's it; they're dead. And if you do that, you've got the guilt of living with that. And it's and that's unheard of. That's never been done really in in storytelling ever. That level of oh, actually, what I'm 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 culpable. I have that. Um, but also the, you know, the, the relationship, and it's not just murder. It's, it's the, it's the, do you choose to kiss somebody or not kiss somebody or respond to somebody or, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of things in there where actually the kind of the, the emotions you feel are triggered and they're yours because you're doing them. I mean, it is still, obviously you got, you're, you're doing it via something else, but you're making those choices. And I think that's, um, that's a really a powerful thing but talk about the kind of horror side of it when we were doing um there's a scene i don't want to give to we can do spoilers i think we can do spoilers can we yeah you can spoil yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, because um, by this point you know i think probably a lot of people <laughs> yeah, it, so. yeah yeah there's a scene in um in the quarry where if um if uh i, I want to call him miles um <laughs> um if uh dylan gets bitten and caught at the, uh, in the in the radio shack by the werewolf on top by silas on top there's a there's a series of outcomes from that and one of them is that you don't do anything and he'll become fully infected and he'll become a werewolf later on in the game uh or you get the choice to cut his hand off before the, the infection has spread all the way up his arm 
Um, and when you have that, you have a choice. If you choose that, you have the choice to use your shotgun to blow it off or use a chainsaw to cut it off. Uh, and obviously the chainsaw is like a, a nod to Evil Dead and, and uh, stuff. And, right. and in fact, actually, if you look at the name on the chainsaw, it's it's the, the brand name is Groovy. <laughs> um, so, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Perfect. But we, when we first did that, the um, the mechanic we had behind it, I can't believe we did this, but the mechanic we had behind it was it was a button mash. And, and you had to saw his arm off with a button mash. And um, and if you did it slowly, it was more painful. So if you didn't do it fast enough. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, and we had this kind of, we had this thing where it was tearing through and then catching on the bone and all that sort of stuff. When we played it, it was so horrible. And it wasn't like fun, horrible. It was just like, I can't believe it's I'm literally. Just horrible. It was just really <laughs> horrible. And it, and the, the very fact that you were physically making that happen, not by a choice, not by a kind of thing, but literally going through someone's skin and bones and stuff was just like, you know what? No, that's the, and, it, and I'm not sensorious at all. It's it just, it's just, it was gross. It was like, oh man, this is. Yeah, it's, too much. It's, yeah, yeah, completely. So yeah, no, yeah. So I, you're right. Yeah. I think there's that thing about that, you know, that lightness <laughs> back to there. No, I mean, it's interesting, like, I'm curious for you, like, you know, going back to sort of like, I'm, I was wondering, like, sort of what your kind of um, early love of horror developed, what were the sort of genre films or genre books that really got you interested in the in, in, in horror? Well, I mean, it's a bunch. I mean, my, um, I was, <laughs> I was, uh, as a fairly young child, woken up by my sister, Joanna, um, uh, elder sister i was about five six years old and she would be watching horror films downstairs and be frightened on her own so she would come and get me <laughs> and drag me downstairs and, I would <laughs> sit and watch these things and then i would I'd be traumatized uh literally and have nightmares for for weeks there was a few there were a couple there was there was one film which was the uh, a 1963 black and white film called the haunting um which actually has just been remade into Robert a TV. Robert Wise. Well, Robert Wise. Yeah, Robert Wise. One of the best directors ever lived, ever. By, I mean, yeah, seven years. Um, genuinely, yeah. one of the scariest films I think ever made, ever. Um, if you watch it now, it's still really... What, what I mean by that, it's not dated as in it's bad. It's dated as in it's been... Everything's been stolen from it so many times that it doesn't feel fresh. But at the time, it was like, yeah. oh my God, it's unbelievable. And it was it was so scary. Very ahead of its time too. I mean, I remember it being like, if you go back, it's like one of the first films I can remember that had sort of a of a, a same sex uh, attraction. Yeah. There's there's that there's the whole dynamic between the two women in that yeah. that I don't remember ever seeing in a in a horror movie before that. So it's, no, it, and it hadn't been either. And it, and it was very grown up. It was very um, color was around in the sixties, but it was like um, it worked really well in black and white. He yeah. also shot a lot of it in infrared. So um, so the black and white works really well in that because you're not seeing it as infrared, obviously. So you get some of these these great shots. There's, you don't really see anything bad in it. There's no um, no. There's no monster. Gore. There's no yeah. No. But it's so well done. And um, so that was one. There was another thing. Um, there was a bunch of BBC kind of dramas, and there was one called Lost Hearts, which is an Mr. James story. Um, and it's set in kind of Norfolk somewhere in 1750 or whatever. And this little boy gets to um, call, he's an orphan and he gets taken up to live with his elderly cousin. And as he's in this little um, kind of carriage going there, he's kind of on his own, he sees these two children in the roadside 
just standing there like this with their, with their arms crossed uh, over their chests and stuff. And he drives past, and there's this thing called a hurdy gurdy music. Um, and actually, we used parts of that into the, in the quarry because that hurdy gurdy is such a, I think, an evocative, uh, very very weird sound. So certainly for the fortune teller and stuff, this slightly this slightly sort of travel of kind of feel and um, uh, it hurdy gurdy is like this weird stringed instrument that has a crank at one end, so you get this kind of slightly um, circusy, fair groundy feel to it. Anyway. Okay. That's that that one thing scared me witless. It was just so good. M. R. James is a great ghostwriter and, and story writer, and so so my first sort of horror stuff was really ghost stuff because I and, and genuinely frightened. Uh, Did you see um, the Innocents? Yeah, a brilliant. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the the Zebra Car one. Um, yeah, uh, so uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So um, yes, there was that one. Um, was that the Innocents or was that called something else? There's the Innocents with um, Nicole Kidman. Uh, where they remade it, but the Deborah Carr one was called Turn of the Screw, I think. Um, I think that's the book it was based on, and I think the film... Oh, maybe, maybe that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I think the book was called um, The Innocence. It was... Jack Clayton was the director. It was so... It, I, I saw it, like, not that long ago, maybe 10 years ago for the first time, and I remember yeah. thinking, you know, why isn't this one of the great talked about as one of the great horror films only to find well actually it is but it just it, it it for some reason i hadn't i had missed it yeah it's the innocence jack clayton yeah it's you yeah, know it's one of those it's movies so, it's so it's affecting and gets under your skin but there's no real gore there's no it's just no. atmosphere and tension and really chilling badly remade recently um, actually but <laughs> <laughs> well that's a really sad thing so the like with the haunting although it's recently been brilliantly remade yes um but there was a there was a 1999 version of cg oh, yeah the yeah. liam neeson one it was like oh and they missed the point everything you know it was all about stuff in your face yeah all yeah. production design it was like they totally yeah they, yeah. yeah got it yeah, right much. Much. <laughs> so um but then then also there was um there were two other kind of real uh, mainstay horrors and one was the universal stuff uh, and in the UK in those days yeah. it was hard to find those you didn't get them very often the Frankensteins the uh, the Bride of Frankenstein the Mummy the you know all of those things they were there and they would pop up occasionally um, so it was all the universal stuff which I, which I still love um, and then there were the Hammer Horror stuff which was which was very interesting some yeah. of the um, things with Peter Cushing uh, Christopher Lee and um, you know Dracula's, there's a whole bunch of very, and, and weirdly, I've been watching a bunch of them recently again. <laughs> they, they date very interestingly. Um, there was a very, there was a very interesting thing. I think it was actually, um, I think it was Alfred Hitchcock, that when colour came in um, to film, lighting changed significantly in, in its style and its, and its, uh, in its art form. And the reason that Hitchcock did for this was that um, lighting used to have to separate layers of grey out. Um, so when it was black and white, you know, if you lit flatly, everything was grey and you kind of couldn't really separate things out. So so yeah. the idea of, of lighting with a, with a rim light at the back to separate you out from the back, using short depth of field with a key light, with, you know, getting either Rembrandt lighting with soft fill, that, that idea of lighting was literally to separate out those layers of grey um, and give you a sort of dynamic to the to the tone of a film. And it's brilliant. When um, when Hitchcock and when the film industry got colour, that just wasn't needed 
as for that function at all. So there's a great film called I think The Torn Curtain, which is um, which is Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, I think it's Paul Newman, um, and it's kind of like a, a behind the Iron Curtain thing. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant film. It's really tense, and but it's really flatly lit, and it's not horrible. I don't don't get me wrong. It's really not a horrible thing, and it's and it has a nice feel to it. But it's so completely different to a black and white film in the, in that because of the depth and the color and the stuff. And black and white had gone in, into the kind of noir version of 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 lighting where there was so much contrast and so much clever separation and so much dynamism inside that that very very short range of of greys. Um, and it wasn't, I don't think, really till till Ridley Scott started to. I mean, I'm, I'd say that there's a bunch of others. My favourite's Ridley Scott. The Ridley Scott brought it back with a um, with a film called Duelists, but then Alien and uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And then the darkness came back into horror um, and the use of separation and the use of old black and white lighting. I mean, Ridley Scott was a commercials director and um, to start off with, and everything, every single shot was a beauty shot, whereas it. Filmmaking seemed to have become a little bit like kind of photography rather than um, than than art in the way that it had been in the uh, in the black and white film. Sorry, I've gone right off subject here, haven't I? <laughs> um, but, but the point the point I'm trying to get to is that um, that 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 sort of aesthetic in horror for me is a really important thing, and they and in the Hammer stuff that had completely gone. So if you watch one of the Dracula films now with Christopher Lee. It's like it's it's like a giant daylight set, and it's like it has almost zero fear. It's lovely. It's lovely made, well made. It's it's, like, yeah, it's there's beautiful. so much artifice to it yeah. to enjoy that, that 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 parts. Like I remember, have you ever seen the Gorgon, the Hammer film, the Gorgon? Oh, do you know, it rings a bell, but I can't remember. It's the, the Medusa one. one they did, and uh, um, it's not Ray Harryhausen. Uh, no, it's it's he did he did medusa for clash of the titans I think. that's right okay yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the gorgon is like uh you know their take on the medusa's story but it's done in, of course in the gothic setting and i it was the first hammer film i saw so i have a, a fondness right. for it but it's i love i mean it's is it scary? like when i watch it now it's not even remotely scary it's very pg it's but i love the artifice of it these beautifully designed sets with you know the candelabras and the cobwebs everything like it's it's there's something kind of so classic about it that it's like comfort food for me it really is and i still love watching them but but yeah i really do but it's um i don't find them frightening at all now Uh, um no actually not recently i did see one again with christopher lee um playing dracula and a couple of those ones have their moments yeah Yeah. they they do it's like oh my god okay yeah it's funny i was i went to an event um in uh what was it the fall in toronto and uh they were they were doing a like a retrospective on the hammer stuff and uh, carolyn monroe who's in a bunch of hammer films was there and i so i got to meet her and hang out with her and stuff and they were showing some of the old dracula pictures that she did and i was watching and thinking you know what's so crazy about those movies um particularly peter cushing because christopher lee's saddled with you know playing dracula but peter cushing is doing the van Helsing thing the acting style that he used in those movies holds up really well he's quite understated and very sincere and he never kind of plays the camp part of it and and i think that's why his performances in those movies still hold up so well and i i i I love chris i think christopher lee is is a phenomenal actor and i think peter cushing is a phenomenal actor i think they're both amazing and they've got amazing voices and they're they're like chalk and cheese as well you know they're they're um they're so opposite uh but yeah they're fantastic yeah they are 
Yeah, it was, I remember you and I, when, when we were talking a little while ago, you, you saw the Donald Pleasance picture on my wall. He was one of those English actors that I'm shocked never ended up doing. He did a ton of horror, but he never did a Hammer film. And he was yeah. he was around at that time. But another one of those, you know, English character actors that did so much horror that, that always brought that air of um, legitimacy to some pretty schlocky horror films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, you know what? So, yeah, and also Donald Pleasance as well. He was he was much more Hollywood, I think. Uh, even though he was English, he, he you could see him. Although he, he was, yeah, in a lot more of the kind of the Hollywood stuff. And obviously, yeah, he was... You know, well, he was doing the John Sturgis stuff like Great Escape and the Eagle Has Landed, yeah. and, you know, with these, with these big American actors. Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, I want to think I have so many directors, film directors on the show, and, and we spend a lot of time talking about their their film, you know, influences. But but what I'm curious to ask you about is what your early game influences were. Um, um, so, yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm of an age where my first console was was the yeah, ping pong thing. You know, it was like it was plugged into yeah. the background. <laughs> So, uh, and literally in an aerial socket, this was before SCART, this was before any, you know, it was just like it went into the RF signal. Um, so that was my first ever kind of video game. Um, then there was a lot of arcade stuff, um, I, which I just loved. And I thought, um, actually, you know what, one of the one, one of the big ones, and <laughs> you can maybe see some connection is some of the Dragon's Lair stuff. That was, um, that was a really, uh, you know, it's pre-recorded it's choice based fundamentally i mean it feels like it's action but it's fundamentally you know you're choosing a or b um and time based and uh i used to love that it. don bluth was the animator yeah. for that game right yeah really i mean yeah. it was lovely it looked great it was annoying as hell to play to be honest you just oh. <laughs> yes it was i remember it was it was so hard <laughs> yeah um yeah and then also um just you know some of the star wars stuff some of the vector graphic kind of star wars thing was, uh, was like oh my god i can't believe i can actually fly a tie fighter or something and it's you know so i was i was very much at the kind of the um the the thing of like i i was in awe of the way that it worked um weirdly i mean i carried on working in film for a long time before i got into games at working because i thought you had to be really clever to work in games um it turns out, <laughs> look, you don't. <laughs> so <it's okay. laughs> um, but it took. But I thought you really did. I thought you had to be some sort of genius. I mean, obviously, the, you know, if you're coding or doing that sort of stuff. But, um, but other than that, so you know, I think my first proper console was um, was the uh, N64, which I still loved. Yeah. It was like a, I think I had the, one of the best controllers ever with a weird middle prong thing. Um, yeah, and games like Wave Race and Turok and um, 1080 and uh there was just it was amazing i just love those stuff and it was um, i loved them i don't remember the name of it anymore what was the star wars one where you could be on hoth and you could rub the wire around the walker and pull it down oh, and God, yeah i can't remember that yeah it was great yeah, I can't remember. um yeah it was great but yeah so um so that those were fantastic but the the game the console i got after that was uh the gamecube and the game i still think is the best game ever made it was resident evil 4 and uh it's just like it's i i, I can't wait for the, the remake to come out because well i can't yeah, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a bit worried that it might i might be really disappointed it was just brilliant and just so deep and so good and so just everything about it was fantastic um had some of the love it had some really lovely camera angles great aesthetics it became kind of overused and the kind of muddy browns got got used everywhere after that the desaturated sort of feel to it um it felt filmic it was a, the over the shoulder stuff was amazing it was the first game i've played where there was an into the screen into the scene 
reticule with the laser. So so it wasn't just, you weren't just putting a crosshair over something. It was actually into the scene, so you could move around in that with a gun. Um, it was frightening. The guy with a chainsaw coming at you was, you know. So, it, so, so that, I think, was one of the biggest things uh, for me, the most um, influential game that I think I've played horror-wise. Uh, of course, there was, um, you know, GoldenEye was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. A, a bunch of those. Um, and then, and during all this time, I was just a, a gamer. I had not, I wasn't even thinking about making games because, I did, again, I didn't think I was able to. And then um, then I was working in London. Um, <laughs> I was working, I was working on a shoot where we had to use motion control camera and it was right in the centre of London and we were shooting a little pig, <laughs> I mean, a real live pig, asleep on a cloud. And um, it was a weird... <laughs> No, it's the weirdest. Shit. It was what the hell was that? For it, was a, it was for a commercial. It was a, for a commercial for oh. a, for some pillow or some duvet or something like that. And um, it was, yeah. <laughs> we were filming this thing. And you know, it turns out pigs are not really that happy about being in film studios in London. So it wasn't a quiet Shopping. or calm time. And you're not allowed. You can't inject them. <laughs> you can't drug them. That's like illegal. No. So. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> So, um, so anyway, so I was talking whilst we, whilst generally we literally were having to try and wait for this pig just to go to sleep. And I was talking to this guy, uh, the camera operator guy, um, who does all the motion control. And he'd been working with a, uh, uh, an FX supervisor who'd left the film industry and gone to work for EA. So if you went and did a talk at EA about animation. So, I went, oh yeah, that sounds fun. So I did that. And then when I got to EA, it's like, oh my God, I could work here. This would be amazing. And then that's, that's how I got into games really, so. So that was a bit of a weird segue from that to um, from influential games, but yeah. And when was when was that? When did you start working at EA? So that was about two thousand three, I think. And oh yes, the reason I was telling you that was was that then for me that was when the Xbox um, came out. Uh, the not the first Xbox, the second Xbox, the Xbox three hundred and sixty was that came out, and it was like. Oh, actually, you know what? This is getting really close to filmic. Uh, Gears of War was was the game that was out at the time, and Gears of War was like, this is like, this doesn't feel like it's been approximated at all. This feels like it's exactly like they wanted it to look. There's nothing in there where you're uh, you're apologising. So up until that point, it's always like, well, you know, the, the poly count's a bit low, or the animation's a bit dodgy, or you you know, it has the uncanny, but whatever. It was always like. Yeah, it was always good for games. You know what I mean. And Gears of War for me was the first thing. You know, right. it's stylized, and I get that. And there's obviously it wasn't super realistic, but it was totally believable. And they did brilliant things with cameras. So the they had the sprint run where the camera dropped down on the floor, and you know, and it kind of, and it was just like this is this is real like filmmaking. So well, one of the things that I'm like really fascinated by is there there's there's this big kind of discussion that goes on i find between gamers and especially cinephiles that are also gamers of kind of why it's so challenging to take games and adapt them into movies and television now obviously like that's been done a lot into mixed results you've had you know everything from some of the really good ones like i personally really liked i think his name is johannes roberts he did uh the the most recent resident evil movie i thought that was pretty good actually because it had atmosphere and tension and kind of to me, it sort of captured the vibe of Resident Evil rather than trying to instill kind of necessarily the plot points. It kind of took the first two games. Did you see it? It took kind of the first two games and put them together and made the movie. And, you know, I didn't 
love the original series of movies because other than the characters having the same names as the games, I didn't think that it was the tone of the games at all. But, you know, you look through the laundry list of movies that have been turned into games and games that have been turned into movies, and I think the batting average isn't great. For for every good adaptation, there's generally a lot more less good ones. Um, I was reading an article recently on IGN where they were like, oh, it's kind of a myth. If you look at the box office numbers, you know, maybe these movies aren't successful critically, but a lot of them performed well at the box office. And I was like, well, that's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at, like, are they good? Um, yeah. Not necessarily just how good was the marketing budget and stuff. But w- what do you yeah. think is the challenge with taking, you know, a video game like like something like Resident Evil or, or something, you know, a genre game and adapting into a film or television? Where do you think that's, you know, creators are having challenges there? I think there's a, I think there's a, I mean, there's a mix of things that are, are kind of an issue here. I think, um, it's become it's become a big buzzword, certainly in in, uh, in TV and and certain Hollywood now, uh, which is uh, IP three hundred and sixty, which is um, that you get an IP, I don't know, you know, Resident Evil, like you say, and yeah. then uh, it's exploited in as many ways, three hundred and sixty degrees, I guess, uh, as possible. <laughs> so there'd be a game version, there'd be a comic book, there'd be a TV series, there'd be a movie, um, right. and. Because the big, the really hard thing uh, with any of these things is to generate a new IP. And new IPs are are um, are very hard. They, they, you go up against, um, a, a, you know, you're, you're you are starting from a standstill. Whereas if you're already an IP, you're you've got momentum and there's a role going on. So whatever you start, there's a knowledge outside in the world of of what that IP is. And the more successful, the the more likely it is that that's going to become. Uh, uh, it's going to get traction, I think. So that's the first thing: is is, is that it's not just a, a creative endeavor; it's also a business, and and so people are right. looking to try and uh, maximize, I guess, the kind of return you can get from that. That's that's not a dirty word, by the way. I'm, I don't see that as bad. It's like you know, that's a business, and uh, and having audiences is how we get to make what we what we want to make. It's like you know, that's that's our patron. So um, so that's the first thing: is that is that there's it's not just a matter of going okay well here's a story in a game and here's let's try and make that into a movie the thing about games is and it so depends on the type of game i guess you know there's been mario movies and it's like how how do you make a mario movie you know (laughs) um but with games like um tomb raider or last of us or uh resident evil where there really is a significant story inside the, the the body of the game not necessarily a complex story but it's a significant story the story itself, and again, depends on the on the length of how you know how the game plays. It can be 10, 15, 30 hours long, but it's not all story. Obviously, a large part of that's action, and a large part of it is gameplay. Um, normally, the, there aren't that many games. I think you, we were talking about this before. There aren't that many games that literally branch. They kind of they have you know you can get killed and then start again and, and go down another route but the story itself is 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 not necessarily um designed to be a story in in it in it just in itself it needs to be incorporated with that gameplay to get the kind of the energy across and if you take that gameplay out it's really interesting watching the last of us um having played the last of us um is there's there's bits that i want to go back and play again now yeah because i remember oh and so that agency um going into something uh, being taken away is a, is an interesting uh, removal. It's not bad. I don't think it is bad. I think it can be um, it can be very good. But it is an interesting separation. And I think actually um, doing the games that we do, uh, you know, the the Quarry and, and Until Dawn, 
which are absolutely as trying to be as close to cinema as we're allowed, to, not allowed, as as technically we're allowed to go, right. um, w- uh, whilst still staying live. So w- we, it sounds weird. There are no cutscenes like FMVs in any of the games that we, yeah. we make. There's, um, it's all live runtime code. Um, so even. Um, even obviously, the, you, know, you do a recording of an actor, and 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 that kind of uh, is recorded data, but the data is driving a rig in real time as you're playing it. It's not like a, it's certainly not video, uh, and it's certainly not even bait. I, I mean, I don't get too technical. Bait animation, where the animation and the vertices is literally baked in, and, and you can't change it. So that level of live keeps a kind of freshness going. Um, uh, and the way we write a story is based around the fact that it is live. So things can change within the structure of a scene. You can have the same scene with somebody who gets their head shot off in the middle of a scene whilst the, the rest of the scene carries on. And sometimes there'll be reactions and sometimes not. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a different medium in that way because of the nature of it being pre-canned and the nature of it being something that's unfolding as you go forward because of the way you choose that thing. Um, we've looked at and still are looking at uh, what that means for an audience, certainly as, as a more advanced audience. Um, and what I mean by that is kind of two screeners, you know, people don't sit and watch the TV now like uh, in a passive way. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes on. Um, when you play a game, you're absolutely, I think it's called lean forward, lean back <laughs> entertainment. Playing a game is lean forward because you're kind of concentrating to watching TV's lean back because it's passive medium. There's seats, I think there's something in between that. And I think there's a um, uh, an element of the if, the, if the story and the engagement and the suspension of disbelief and everything that goes with it, the narrative transport, everything that goes with it, um, as far as a passive medium is concerned, if that's not really dragging you in and i'm finding it harder and harder to find things that really do drag me in then i'm on my phone as well and it's not like i'm on my phone and not watching it's it's two screening and i'm not the only person in the world you know i'm an old guy there's there's, you know the younger (laughs) you are that that's that's much more likely to be the way you have it and and it takes a lot for you to put that phone down and just be convinced and and i find even some mediums are kind of uh promoting it now like there's all these netflix shows that and the menu before you play the show, there's a little, you know, one of those little uh, barcodes that you sh- take a picture. Of. And then there's a game you can play while you're watching the show, a trivia game or whatever. Like they're encouraging that second screen kind of experience. Yeah. Um, um, it's, I, I, I don't to me, if I'm on my phone, it's usually because I, I've lost interest or I'm there's that's for me. I like to watch a movie and just like. Yeah. Because there's almost and, a part for me too that feels like if I'm not, I'm kind of disrespecting the filmmakers. It's or super. I think it is. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But but you know what? It is there. It's 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 become a thing. And and the thing is as well, it's not just that it, you know you're doing this because you're bored. It's you're, you're watching something and then just somebody's calling you or something's happened or there's been you said something that somebody's responded to and it's like oh just I'll just check that, um, and. You know that's the that's the way we are now. That's 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 how our lives are. Yeah. Our phones speaking to us, and we have to answer. <laughs> yeah. I know. You know what? I'm, I'm the um, worst for it's like I'll be watching a movie with you know whoever my spouse or friends or whatever, and and uh, and someone goes, "Where have I seen that guy?" And I'm in me like IMDb, what looking up someone's credits. Where have I seen them? Like, 
Uh, yeah. I mean, that's literally, and, and that's and that's it. And there's a few things that will stop me doing it. One of it is watching a subtitled movie because I can't <laughs> try to read the thing. Um, and the other one, I think, is is, and this is what I'm, I think will be part of the future, will be interactive uh, TV, where it's just like you know, you imagine like a, uh, a quarry, but it's it's on Netflix or on Prime, and it's just like oh, uh, I'm you know, I'm watching this, and and suddenly it's you get to a choice. And it's like oh shit, I've got to. I've got to make an input. Um, yeah. And, but at the moment, there's still a kind of a, uh, there's a separation between how a game looks and how TV looks. So gamers are fine with how a game looks. Uh, a wider TV audience is a little less um, forgiving, maybe. So the tech has to get better. The, the you know, and also this is the other thing, and this is a really big thing that I'm looking at, um, not deliberately now, but but certainly as part of what I'm thinking is, uh, at the moment, these are all separate identities. So you have the game, and then you have the TV series or, or the film, or whatever. But it's getting to the stages. Why aren't these the same thing? Why aren't we making the same thing? Why isn't you know? It's like with the last of us again. Neil Druckmann. He's now the he's he was a uh, a, a person who was involved in both of those uh, versions of of the Last of Us, and it shows. I think. Yeah. Um, I think. I think. You know, like I say, often with the TV stuff, it's an afterthought that comes maybe two, three, five years after the event. Um, and so therefore it has to be deliberately made in a different way. But if you think about it up front, then I think that would be a very different thing. But at the moment, that's a very difficult proposition to give to uh, a game publisher who doesn't particularly have a, 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 an awful lot of knowledge of how the TV industry works and the TV industry who don't know what the game industry is and and, and specifically, you know, the machinations of, of both. And, so, and also, what's the return on those? With, with games, the financial return is you sell games. It's a fairly straightforward, uh, you know, um, transaction and it's not it's you know it's it's profit and loss and, and that's fine with tv with streaming tv it's subscription based um and to get a specific understanding i'm sure they've got all the maths that does it a specific understanding of what the return is for the investment that they put into something um is it market share is it number of subscribers is it people they hang on to i, I have no no real concept of how that business model works but they, there is a way, obviously, otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Um, so so I think there's uh, – th we've certainly um, been uh, interested in talking to people in other areas of the industry about what stuff is um, because we don't – We it's going to happen, right? It's gonna, There will be interactive TV. There will be um, stuff where games and – video and film and stuff is much more merged because we're already heading down that route um the level of com complex gameplay versus simplistic choice-based gameplay i think will stay relatively simplistic just because one of the big barriers to interaction is is a gamepad or a joystick or even a keyboard um a lot of people just are intimidated by that and don't want that and and a lot of people just don't want to have that level of interaction they don't want to have the responsibility of someone's you know, albeit, um, you know, imaginary life in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, having uh, to watch for not getting their arm chopped off with a chainsaw. <laughs> right. People yeah. So, so fun. again, so for instance, in, in the quarry, there's so many versions in that where you could play it and that's fine. You could just go into movie mode if you want, uh, and just go, actually, I just want to watch this. Uh, and, but I, what I want to do is I want to watch it, uh, and I want to watch the gory version. 
I want to see uh, I want to see as much death as, as as that is in there, and you could press that as a as a as a you know a preset, and it'll play that out. You could just sit there with your family and watch it, um, or you can say. How long does it take to just sit and watch it if you select that version? Like, how long is it from start to end? It's so it depends which one you pick, really. So, for instance, if you have one where uh, Emma gets killed in the treehouse, you lose an hour. So. Okay. Um, so you know, there's there's a lot of stuff where you know if everyone dies super early, it's, it's I think it's six hours long. Okay. Um, you can get a ten hour one. What you aren't getting is all the exploration. Uh, we, there is some in there, but you're not kind of going around and doing that. Um, although we're looking at ways of of changing that as well for the future. Um, but you can also do one where you just um, you just you, you pick characteristics of the characters and you just go actually you know what I'm going to make her really clumsy and indecisive uh, and I'm going to make them really aggressive, not aggressive, but, you know, um, a bit more, you know, um, assertive. And then you press play and then an entirely different movie. I, and to be honest, on that level, we don't even know what's going to come out because the permutations are huge right. about actually what happens. So so passive medium and, and uh, active mediums are, are there and we're working for them. And now it's a matter, I think, of crossing audiences that's the other, I think that's the other thing, going back to right to your original question, is gamers gamers are a little bit more forgiving and also a lot less forgiving. <laughs> um, they're a bit more forgiving of the, of the tech. So they'll go, do you know, yeah. I, I get that this is a game and so it's not going to be a completely photorealistic thing. Um, I, you know, I get that if I, I mean, not now really, but even 10 years ago, that if I, if I get killed, I'll get better. That's not a thing, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. Or that if I get killed or I kill someone, they'll start to disappear and fall through the ground, like in um, in Resident Evil Four. You know, they'll just kind of disintegrate. That's not a thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but you kind of forgive it. Um, if that happened in a movie, people would be like, "What?" You know. And so, um, <laughs> <laughs> imagine that in a movie. Just every time someone died, they disappear into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the other thing is as well is that um, you know that agency in a game, regardless of, of the kind of game, is that there's a there's a persistence, uh, and and everything is kind of it's not, but it kind of feels like it's pre um, it's pre made. So I go into a, into a uh, a room and I can walk around the room. And even if it's like, you know, one of ours where we cut in and doing that sort of stuff and it's choices, that room exists in CG and it's all the angles and all the other sort of stuff. And it's all there all the time. In film, it's obviously they, they went and shot that bit and then the other bit they might have shot down the road. And it's the edit and the and the way things are cut together. There's a, do you remember the film A Razorhead? Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a shot in that where he opens the door um, and goes in and then they cut to the other side of the door they filmed that bit two years later um, yeah. uh, and it's like and that so that that artifice that film has that uh, that the games don't which is it's all trickery it's all about you know yeah. how does this cut to that light of hand so, yeah yeah you'll know about this thing there's a thing called the Kuleshov effect um which is uh when you have um an image or or a, or, or a sequence juxtaposed and edited with something else and then um, back again to the original image, usually about, say, somebody's face. Um, you can have somebody's face completely uh, bland, nothing going on. You can cut to a picture of a coffin, a child in a coffin, which is the one that he did, 
and then cut back to the face, again, completely bland, you'll be able to read uh, a series of emotions into that character's face. If you put a bowl of soup into that bit where the coffin was and the rest of it stayed the same, you'd see different emotions in that face. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. And, it's, and it's extraordinary. It's absolutely extraordinary. And well, I think a, it's a massive obvious. part of what f- f- cinema is, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's the juxtaposition of images to create a, a response in, in an audience. And and that's the fun of being a director. <laughs> it's like, exactly, right? You know? yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas with, with games, it's harder to do that. It's easier with us because we are using edits. But with games, it's like you, you, you don't know what that juxtaposition is going to be. So right. it's much more literal. So I think part of the, the again, the, the difficulty on translation is a gamer will have had an experience that they've owned, that they're part of, that they, um, they've, they feel almost proprietorial over because it's an experience that they generated, albeit in a kind of a, an arena, whereas a, a, whereas a movie is given to you. It's it's again really interesting watching the um, watching the Last of Us, which I love by the way. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, but there's a, there's a few shots in there where I remember the shots from the game. Yeah. And and I think do you know what I I think I prefer the game version well, of it. It's funny because like I think I'm a fucking nightmare for people to game with because I'm constantly like move your camera up go to a lower angle. This is a scary scene. Like I hate some people. I just, I'm like, I'm judgmental of that. I'm like, you suck with the camera. Like you have your camera in all the wrong places, you know, for this section of the game or, you know, and that's where I think certain games like Resident Evil, for example, uh, not so much the newer ones, but you go back to the older ones that had fixed angles. And, you know, I liked that about those games. I remember the first one, which was the first game, the first Resident Evil was the first game I ever played that really scared the shit out of me. Like I remember being there. You go back and look at that game now, and it's like the voice between the the voice acting, which is wonderfully terrible. Um, the master <laughs> of unlocking and all that stuff, like it's just so crazy. Um, yeah. But but there's a charm to it, and there's um, and I like that it still feels like someone made choices. Well, we want this to be really scary when the dog yeah. jumps through the window. So if we set the camera here with the yeah. window in frame, but sort of off to the side, it's there, and you notice it, but it's not your focal point. So when the dog yeah. smashes. You know what I mean? Like there's still that cinematic quality of someone's yeah. decisions that aren't because for me, I'm like, when you leave that decisions to an audience, well, they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have an eye for it or they don't necessarily yeah. know how to operate a camera well. So they're putting it in all the wrong places and they're low when they should be high. And it's like, yeah, you know, they I, I, want, they want understanding that language is super important. And, yeah. uh, and it's not just the camera language. It's, it's the editing language. It's the, it's the pacing. It's the, it's there's so much, um, but it's also things like um, contrast and depth of field and, uh, and using things properly rather than just going, Oh, I've got a blurry background. Did you ever, did you ever play, um, uh, Fatal Frame, Crimson Butterfly, Fatal Frame. I played some of the Fatal Frame games, Crimson Butterfly. Which one's that? That was that was I think the second one. It I it think was. So. That, I think I did. It was so scary. It's one of the scariest games I think I've ever played. And, really, and that was fixed camera angles. Um, and oh my god, it was so good. It was I genuinely. It was. Um, it's. It, I reckon it would hold up now. It's it's PS two. I think it was. Um, it's the second game you said. So the one I remember the most is yeah is the second one was called um, Crimson Butterfly I think, um, it's uh, and it has it's a, it's got a great mechanic in it as well it's like it's it's third person it's fixed camera angles um, it's it's dark it's kind of it's it's very Japanese it's very it's set in Japan it's set in um, uh, in this kind of old village it's it's beautiful 
Um, and it's third person, but you have a camera and the camera is an exorcism camera and you collect certain different sort of film stocks and the different film stocks will be able to capture oh, the ghost. Cool. Uh, and it's, it's just so good. But it, but it, you um, vacillate really between third person exploration and then when you um, hear this kind of ghost detector, um, it goes into first person on the camera. And it's really hard to steer it. It's much more confining and claustrophobic. And then when it, you kind of get to the right level, you take a photograph and you can't see anything. You take a photograph and there'll be this ghost in your face. And it's just like, it's, oh my God, it's so good. But once you've taken a photograph of it, you've captured it in the film. So, um, I, I mean, it's something I've wondered about, you know, and you're probably the right person to talk to about this. I've been, I almost wanted to write an essay or something about it because I'm, it's so fascinating to me. I think it's interesting to look at the progression and the the kind of popularity as it developed with first person gaming, you know, Doom, Wolfenstein. These are these are really examples of first person gaming that really took off and yeah. how it c correlates to not too many years later, you get a movie like Blair Witch Project, which is basically the cinema equivalent of first person. Yeah, found, found footage stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and found footage becomes its own offshoot as a, as a subgenre of horror primarily there's found footage that isn't horror but most of it is yeah um and i i find it fascinating that people um you know when you watch found footage stuff like people are so forgiving of the fact that cinematically most found footage stuff is terrible like it's yeah. you know the camera's whipping all around you're you're like people get motion sickness from it like it's it's the opposite of the you know the the concise control camera of a hitchcock or a kubrick you know where it's so concise and so deliberate yeah. Um, and yet people, you know, like there's some great found footage films I thought were terrifying, like the rec movies and stuff like that. Um, yeah. and yeah, it's interesting to me that, oh, oh so good. Yeah. It was so scary. Um, yeah. because of that, because, you know, you felt more involved in the action than you would have, I think, if that story had been told traditionally, because yeah. the camera's in and the person's panicking and you hear breathing and there's also yeah. they whip over there and there's, you know, you, but you're not controlling it like you are in a game. Yeah. I think that almost made rec scarier. I think in a game. Yeah. You know, it might, that, that would be, you know, I think a, a prime example I can give you is I remember playing Alien Isolation with a group of people when that yeah. game came out. And I know that game has, you know, a mixed kind of rip. Some people love it. Some people hate it. I thought it was incredibly effective because I remember playing it with a group of people and whatever you think of the game, for better or for worse, they were all fucking terrified. They, they were so stressed. Yeah. There was a palpable stress about, oh my God, what was that? Oh my God. And people are like, because if they screwed up, it was on them. So, yeah, you know, yeah, one yeah. of my friends went and sat in a locker for 20 minutes and we were all like, get out of the locker, man. This is so boring. Like, he's like, no, no, it's going to get me. I'm like, fine. At least something will have happened. Like, um, you know, and it, to me, I'm like, like, I, I think it's a perfect companion to the film because I love aliens. One of my favorite horror films of all time. I've watched it a yeah. million times. I think Scott's direction in that movie is so like he's just at his it's genius at height of, his, genius. of his skill as a filmmaker i think yeah yeah um and aliens which i love as well but is a very different animal um yeah but you know that game and that movie to me uh there's they they work well together um but again it's that thing of like you know one of them is a film and and really you're in the hands of ridley scott when you watch alien and and they're capable hands so you, you get a great movie um then you play Alien Isolation and, uh, you know, you're in the hands of the game makers, but also in your own hands because you're going to make choices, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. And um, I think it's interesting to look at, you know, well, 
you know, you get some examples of, I think when Alien Isolation came out, some of the reasons that some people didn't like it was because they were used to alien games where you were a Marine going around gunning aliens down. Yeah. And now you couldn't do shit to fight back. Like you're hiding in a locker. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, to me, that's that's that, that cross-section of taking an IP like Alien and successfully pouring it over to a game. It was supposed to be the other way around where a lot of people talk about adapting games into movies um yeah you know I, I was reading an article i think it was an interview with you and they were talking the, the interviewer asked you about making the courier until dawn into a movie and i thought what's what would be the point of that <laughs> i just it would feel that would seem redundant to me um yeah because it would be everything you already have without the interactivity i just feel like you would i would lose something in that so um, i think so that's i do think there's that i think um I, I, although i've heard rumors that they're they are making until dawn into a movie i've heard oh, that really? that's already been done I, I don't know so don't you can't um don't believe me everybody because i don't know but I just heard. <laughs> um but there's a thing and and this is a really interesting thing that we're finding and it's kind of what i, I mentioned earlier is that what we do is um there's a, there's a limited audience to the people that will ever see or play Quarry or Until Dawn because it's the people who like that sort of thing but also have a PlayStation or an Xbox or, or, yeah, or, right. or a game of PC. And that's that's not a huge... I mean, it's not bad. It's like, you know, there's, it's millions of people, but it's not the world. It's like, you know, it's yeah. not the hundreds of millions of people that will watch TV. So if it's got some um, traction as an IP... It's basically opening it up to another audience, and that audience would never ever have seen it on a on a on a console because they yeah, just right. haven't even got one. Um, so that's the I think that's where it comes in. It's like uh, if it's a proven IP, thing. yeah, yeah, right. it's like that. Um, but it's interesting with when you talk about aliens. Alien is an amazing IP because it's not just that it's gone there into film and cartoons and uh, and games and stuff. There's two versions of the IP. It's probably about three versions of the IP out there. There's the, the the Ridley Scott version, which is Alien, and then it's um, it's not Aliens. That's not part of his uh, canon, is it? It's like no. Uh, it's Alien, then it's um, Prometheus, and then Prometheus Covenant, and, and then it's Covenant. And and actually, I love that. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm probably quite rare. I love that trilogy. I think it's amazing. Me too. Me too. I thought Prometheus was the most underrated yeah. sci-fi flick of I don't know how long. People were slagging it, it off. And yeah. I was like, it's so thoughtful and smart yeah. and um, the most art, like the, the amount of production design that went into that movie. Maybe you have to be a filmmaker to appreciate the detail of that. I don't yeah. know, because there were so many people I remember that were like, oh, there's not even any xenomorphs. And I was like, yeah, but that shot where and there's so much and look at those little pants, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I remember buying the art book of that movie and going through and be like, holy shit, they, there's so much development that went into that film. And you yeah. can see it, yeah. it's all on the screen. Um, but people didn't. It just didn't register. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. And then, um, yeah. and then, uh, Covenant, which I have to say, I, I think, um, I think is is the Tempest. It's Shakespeare's The Tempest. Um, it's got it's like very it's, Shakespeare. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but Lovely. but you know it's got the so it's got David who's this kind of Prospero character and it's got um Ariel who's you know the the kind of uh the alien kind of new th it's just the, the whole thing and then there's a shipwreck effectively and these people come in and he's supposed to be kind of um looking after them but actually Walter yeah yeah so anyways but um but yeah I think they're great but the, the point I'm getting to was that because well, then you have I Aliens which is a separate kind of franchise in its own right and then, and then Alien versus Predator which is it's yeah. another thing on the right yeah right so so yeah so um 
but again, it's all about that thing about IP. IP has a massive value. Um, and if it's got, again, if it's got a solid kind of um, path and traction, you know, there's it will be attractive to people if you give them the audience, if, if the audience is given what they are, you know, used to being able to consume. Consume is a horrible word for, for art and films and stuff, but it kind of yeah, is, you know, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, enjoy. Yeah. yeah, enjoy. Yes, that's much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... So yeah, so I think that's that's the re- that's how these things come about, and I think, um, like I say, for for us as w- when we generate this stuff, I'm now thinking much more about, okay, don't just think about just this. Think about how this can be used in other areas and how that audience can be expanded. Um, and and again, for us, that's not necessarily going to make us any more money because I, you know, we're not selling more units if it goes to TV. We sell no more units. Um, so you don't think you would? Uh, you, don't, you don't think if that extra awareness that came from becoming oh well, you know what? No, there would definitely be a there'd be a knock on. I think um, I think Last of Us has now suddenly doubled its sales again. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I was know. just reading about. That's when we think of that. Yeah, yeah. So, no, there would definitely be that uh, um, uh, of just awareness and stuff. But yeah, yeah. it's um, so uh, yeah. I think I think it's at the moment is there, there are camps, and I think that's where it is with, with the the creators and the businesses behind the different areas of, of what's being made. There's games, there's t- films, there's TV. Um, there, there, there are people who are all very, very clever in those arenas, and there are very few crossover people. There are some. Neil Druckmann now is going to be one of those people. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's people who are like have feet in both camps um, who will be able to bridge that stuff and be able to bridge the, the, um, the protocol and the, uh, I guess the kind of the, the linguistics of what that means when you're talking about it. You know, it's like um, how deals work, how how art works, how edits work. How or, there's a whole bunch of stuff. You know, that's kind of like a, yeah. Uh, at the moment, doesn't have the right. It doesn't have a, a lexicon uh, based around it or a vocabulary. So. I was watching the second episode of The Last of Us, and. Um... Like, I, I'm obsessive. I collect all those art books of games and movies. I have, you know, shelves and shelves of those beautiful coffee table art books. And mm. and I was and there was a, a shot that came up in the second episode. And I was like, wait a second. I ran and grabbed you know, I pause. I run and grab my art book. And, and it was right out of the art, right out of the game. And I was yeah. like, so this I, I was thinking of that. I was like, I was like, I wonder if they took a lot of that design work that they used for the game and used it on the show, because everything to me so far in this at least in the second episode we've only seen two episodes but there are some direct um reimaginings of content from the game that they, that they have copied to the t on the show and the production design of the locations but again i think that's because neil's in it and i think um right uh if you if you imagine you're a director right and they come up to you and they say uh, okay kevin what we want is we want you to make a movie of the last of us and you go, right, okay. So you can go, right, can I have all the production design and all the stuff from the original? And I'm just going to copy that. And I'm not going to put anything of myself into this. Yeah. I'm not going to change it. I'm not going to... It's really hard for a, for a creative to do that. If the if you have the originator, then why would you change it? It's, you know, yeah, it's it already sense. done. So, yeah, um, so I think that's part of it. I think, um, you know, I've, I've seen other adaptations. Um, uh which one was it? It was another. It was another Naughty Dog. Um, uh, what was it Uncharted. Called? Uncharted. So that yeah. movie. Um, whilst I enjoyed the movie itself, it was just like, well, okay, that's not Sully. That's you no. know, 
the characters are all wrong. The, 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 the guy, uh, Tom Holland, is that his name? That's yeah, it was Spider-Man. like a kid. Yeah, I was like, this isn't Nathan Drake at no. all to me. It felt like a completely different because, and I got why they did it. They're like, well, if we want to do five yeah. more of these with the same actor, he's going to get older. <laughs> yeah, you know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, yeah. But um, but you know what? It's it's like I say, it's a good IP, so that's all fine. There's no harm in that, um, as long as. But you are going to definitely lose the people who played the original because it's like, well, that's not what I have. Oh yeah. I knew so um, many Uncharted fans were like, what is this shit? This is bull. <laughs> this kid playing Nathan Drake. Like, you know, whereas yeah. people who weren't familiar with the games probably didn't, they didn't give a shit because it was, they didn't know it. It didn't, there was yeah. nothing to be faithful to at that, in that scenario. So, yeah. So, and, and, and I think that definitely comes from having another creator and also production, you know, it's like what, what you, all of us have to live in the, in the world of we've got to get stuff made and, and there are audiences and there are people who want to be able to exploit those in the way that makes, you know, allows us to have money. But um, if an HBO or a Netflix were to come to you and take the quarry and say, we want you to come be the showrunner, we want to turn this into a series. Um, would you, would that be something where you go, okay, I think I, I could see how I would do that. Or would you be kind of like, nah, I, I just, I, the game is, it needs to be game for me to be interested. Like what's, how does your, how does that sort of, how do you kind of feel about that? So, so I think, I personally, I think there's a no, I, I would be, I would be happy to do it because I think that's a bigger audience. How we would do it, I think would be an interesting thing. Would it go live action? Would we have the same cast? You know, um, if it were, if it were, and this is a slightly weirder one than it is with, for instance, The Last of Us, is which journey would you take? Um, mm-hmm. So I've got, and we've worked on a thing called the canonical path. Um, so were we to have a sequel, <laughs> um, we need to have a point at which everybody starts. Um, and otherwise, you know, it's like everybody died for you, everybody survived for somebody else. How do you start a sequel from that point? Yeah, that's right. So yeah. We've got we've got a canonical path, which is the story, um, and it's a very specific version of what went on that I personally think is probably the most exciting and has the most reward. A bunch of people get killed, a bunch of people survive. Um, there's lots of you know uh, dynamism in there. Um, it's having that as a kind of a, a one-off. I think you could do quite well. The other thing is is whether or not you do it and go, actually, let's make this interactive. Um, you know, Bandersnatch has already done it. Uh, it's not it's not a difficult thing for streaming TV to, especially with binary choices. Um, it's very difficult if you want to start, you know, moving around with a joystick, but it's not hard to do to go, okay, I'm going to make a choice here. Um, so do you do that? And that's a very, very different product. And that's um, and then it becomes like, oh, okay, that's that. I think that's really interesting. I think that's a uh, an evolution of, of this sort of game for the future. That's uh, that's that has a lot of legs. I think. Um, I think it also shows a respect for the gamers that like the format of these games the way that it is. Because if if you're if you're taking that audience going, well, we want you to come join us on television now we're going to do we're going to do we're going to have some fun with these characters but now we're going to do it on tv but you still get to participate you know whereas i think of the last of us which is a series i love i love both the games and i thought mm. they were 
brilliant. Um, but that's a fixed story. Like, you know, and, and, and I don't say this as a criticism, but in The Last of Us, what you do as a as a gamer does not change the story. There's nothing you can yeah. do to change the way that story progresses. It's go, it goes the way it goes no matter what you do. And the, the bits yeah. in between the, the storytelling that you're playing, that experience is still fun and enjoyable, even though you know that you have no bearing on the story. But it's about you still become attached to the characters. It doesn't change any of that. Completely, yeah. Um, like I remember when I played the first one and they have that, that very well-known scene now where Ellie is kind of depressed and Joel's trying to cheer up and they've come upon those giraffes. And that was like a scene in a video game that was like, I remember being emotional about it. It was affecting and it, because you had spent yeah. eight hours with these characters and, and they were so well-written and performed that it was impossible not, I mean, in a movie you spend 90 minutes, two hours with the characters, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in a game, you might spend 10 hours with them. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember the first, like the first time I, I came across a game like that. was a, It was a long time ago. It was a, a PS2, PS2? Yeah, PS2 game called Ico. Do you remember Ico? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was the first kind of looking after somebody that I'd play. I'm sure there were others. Um, and that, was, that, for me, was a very interesting understanding of emotional uh, attachment that you as a first person, even though that was a third person game, as a first person um, can have about this level of protection, this level of guilt, have you got them killed or dropped? You know, there was a, there was a, there was a thing there, which just the, the emotional side of that was, was, um, was mind blowing and yeah. how powerful that was. Um, and I think that's the thing that, um, that the last of us and things like that have, which is uh, like you say, you've played this through and, even though it doesn't change the story, that emotional investment is huge because you're constantly guarding or fighting or looking after or watching out for or hiding for, you know, for somebody as well as, you know, both sides. Um, whereas when you watch it, again, it's vicarious. It's it's empathic. And that, like we're used to that. That's not bad. That's been storytelling for, through, through you know, yeah. eons and generations. So it's not it's not like it's a, a weak version of it. Right, but I don't yeah. think people are fully understanding the strength of first-person storytelling yet um, and, and the extent to which it will, I think, will become a much bigger thing. At the moment, well, it's, it's just very, it's limited to a very few people, few, millions of people. Um, I was going to say, not that few. <laughs> who have consoles, yeah, um, and, and PCs. But, but, you know, that's not, that's not 7 billion people. Yeah, um, right. So it's, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think too, right? When you think of, I, I don't, I, I, for me, when I'm, when I'm got some time and I'm like, okay, I've got X amount of time to do something fun, you know, not work related or, or a, a chore or something. And I'm like, all right, do I feel like gaming? Do I feel like watching a movie? Do I feel like catching up on a series? Like, you know, you make that decision. Do I want to read a book? Like, and to me, it's all about mood and the mood I'm in always dictates which medium I'm going to go to. If Ooh. I, if I, if I'm stressed, it's usually like a book because I find books are, the opposite of passive. You have to fully commit to a book. You're going to imagine it. Yeah. You have to read it. You have to hold it. Like it's, it requires everything of you if you're going to, yeah. you know, really get invested in the book. Um, if I'm in a bit of a, you know, just want to chill out, relax, probably going to be a movie or a show because I don't have to do anything. Um, like VR to me is like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to fit it into my life yet. I have it. <laughs> <put> that in. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have it, but I'm like, I got to put all this gear on, and then half the games involve a lot of exercising. I'm like, I don't want to move that much. Like, no, no, no. I'm like, um, yeah. Like, it's just, uh, and, and, you know, in, in VR to me always, particularly, I have a, a meta quest thing. And I play it, I'm like, 
Um, and I, it's cool and I love it and it's neat, but, but at the same time, I'm like, I, I, I like the, the part of, of, of the, the thing that VR doesn't have for me is I like being put in the hands of someone who's telling me a story Yeah, and in VR, so much of it is you're doing kind of, you're looking around there. It, it's, it's, I don't want that much uh, control over it. You know what I mean? I, I, I maybe that's cause I'm, a, I'm a film person, you know, maybe that's yeah, that. Yeah. For younger people, it might not be so much that way. But I like being in the hands of a John Carpenter or a Romero. Yeah. Or, you know, when I'm playing an Until Dawn, I'm I'm in your hands. If it's someone in my own, but it's, it, you know, or a Neil Druckmann, and then I'm in his hands. But yeah. no matter what, there's a creative vision behind that. And, and VR, yeah. there's such an absence of that to me at this stage. I haven't quite found that inroad for me yet. With yeah yeah and, and you know what's quite funny as well you were saying about that you know being in someone's hand there's a, a thing as i uh, as i get older my just uh, reading is harder and i come further and further away from a you know a book and i've got glasses and stuff. <laughs> so, um so i now listen to books and and there's something so brilliant about being told a story yeah. Um, and there, you're right. And that's just, you know, with a, with, when you're reading a book, there's, it's, it is more active than passive. You are, you know, you've got to sit up and, you know, you've got to read it and stuff. Um, there's, it's not like it's work, but it's not, it's not, you know, uh, without some, some degree of input. Uh, yeah. but, but listening to a book is extraordinary. It's, it's, it's actually very, uh, comforting, even kind of dark books. I've, um, weirdly, actually, I just I just sent Ted um, Ramey uh, a copy of um, some radio plays that I don't know, back in the seventies or something that Vincent Price did. Um, oh, cool. oh, oh, you know what? I'll send you a copy as well. It's like uh, it's they're, they're very dated and they're very um, well, they're nineteen seventies. So, but they're brilliant. There's the, just the voices and the, it's so fantastic. There's what you know. There's one I I that I sh- I don't know if you're. Do you like Roddy McDowell? Yeah, I love Roddy McDowell, and he did a series of audio books not long before he passed away. Um, he was brilliant at it. He was so good at narrating books, and he did 1984, and he did, but he did some very obscure ones. Like he did a a, a novel adaptation of the David, of the David Cronenberg movie Scanners. Oh and it's wow! Brilliantly done. He's so it's really good, and uh, yeah. um. You know, and I think it's, I can't remember the name of the book right now. There was a book I read, this is back in like my kind of film studies era, that was talking about that being told a story is almost genetically coded into human DNA at this point. It goes back I to being, you know, hearing something right. by a fireside, like yeah. that act of being told a story, your grandfather told you a story, your grandmother, your parents, whatever, like we all have some part of that baked into us almost at this point. That yeah. there's something calming or something... I don't know, um, grounding about someone telling us a great story. And so I, 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 I agree. I think it's, it, yeah. yeah, I think it's an atavistic kind of, uh, innate thing that would, you get goes back, goes back to stone age. I think, uh, yeah, yeah. That, um, that, that fireside storytelling thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, and audiobooks to me, one of the great things about that is you kind of get a bit of that performative quality too, though, because, you know, uh, well, good audiobook. if the person yeah. just flatly narrates it, that's different, but yeah. I've, I've actually listened to a few. I'm glad that, that Audible has that return your book policy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Cause it, it means you, start. I'll risk stuff because of that. I'll go, well, let's try that. And it's, yeah. Yeah. No, you're yeah. Right. Yeah. You get a narrator. You're like, I can't listen to this person for 12 <laughs> hours. Um, and that's the thing, right. Is like a lot of audiobooks are like, they can be 14 hours long, 16, 18 hours long. Like yeah. you're, you're strapped in for a while with yeah. those. Um, 
Um, so let, I, I was curious about with in, Until Dawn, um, you know, which which I think has become sort of iconic as far as horror games go. I mean, I you read any list of the best horror games, and you see Until Dawn on there now. And, and for you as a horror fan, a fan of the of the of the genre, that I'm sure that's very rewarding. But you know, I was curious about some of the choices you made in the genesis of the game, like setting it in kind of a snowy, mountainous kind of environment, which I loved because it made I'm thinking of The Shining and all these great horror movies. But I'd never played a game that chose that setting. Usually horror games are set there in a creepy mine. And, you know, there is a mine sequence in this, but, you know, or they're in like spooky woods and there is woods in this. But you have the snow coming down and there's this almost picturesque quality to it with the scariness of it, you know, it's all at night and whatever, but what, what was it about that setting that, that made you go, yeah, let's, let's set it, you know, in the mountains and the snow and not do it, you know, whereas the quarry is a summer camp, a much more traditional setting for a horror flick. Well, I mean, to be honest, I mean, a part of that was kind of from Sony when they first brought it with us. There's, they, they had an IP already, which was these people that often a ski resort. Um, so that, that's where the initial thing came from, but we didn't have to stick with that. But uh, I thought that actually snow and cold and it's weird. I, I mean, you're just getting it right now. You've got snow where you are now. I think there's something really magical about waking up in the morning and looking out of the window and there's and everything's covered in snow. I think it's staggeringly beautiful. Um, it allows for a level of light that works really well. So we were uh, when we were first making Until Dawn, it was a third. It was a first person. Um, uh, move control game and the only thing you had was a flashlight uh, and that was the move control so our lighting was done by that um, and uh, it's it allowed us to get a lot more bounce in there and a lot of more of, of that sort of stuff there um, there was a an element of the whole thing with the Wendigo where we didn't want to show the Wendigo to start off with it wasn't a, a big thing but it was a very much um, a part of the it was kind of a part of this horrible trail of tears thing you know this it was uh it was about starvation it was about um about people freezing to death it's set you know the wendigo is is this thing that's supposed to be entirely frozen um and one of the ways you're supposed to be able to kill it is by getting fire into its heart um so there was a lot of the there was a lot of that there we didn't want to kind of expose that too much we didn't want to become um you know guilty of of cultural appropriation uh, in that kind of um the wendigo is an an indigenous character sort of legend right it's sort of yes yeah yeah so yes yeah absolutely um there was yeah there was a bunch of 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 different uh, real life people that um, we took uh, inspiration from um but ultimately you know that whole story was about cannibalism and uh and um uh, and starvation, which is, you know, sounds a lot bleaker than when you think about Until Dawn. But that's what it was, you know. That's what it was, you know, um, when uh, when Beth eats her sister, it's uh, it's because she's starving. She's literally starving to death and she becomes a Wendigo. Um, uh, Did Larry so- Fessenden bring that element to it? Because he's, he's, you know, I know he was a writer on the game and he, his, he, he has a, I mean, his pursuits into the Wendigo go long way back in yeah, his yeah. career. Was no, that an you know what? kind of brought to the table? No, so um, we we'd already gone down that route. It was actually okay. um, Pete Samuels who uh, who wanted to do the Wendigo side to it. Uh, originally, the the original idea was it was just a serial killer, uh, not even a serial killer. It was a killer slasher thing. 
Yeah. Um, and that just felt that just felt quite predictable and quite kind of and and Try, also yeah. a little bit yeah and yeah. um so we really wanted to mess it up and really wanted to kind of play with the genre and kind of make it feel like it was a, a slasher but then it was completely not a slasher and that was a it was a monster movie it was a creature feature um you did that to me again on the quarry. I remember playing the quarry and being like, oh, it's a slasher thing. And then there yeah. was werewolves everywhere. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's not even, I mean, I don't think we're being clever with it anymore. It's just, it's just fun to be able to go from one to another to another. And it's like, totally, oh, yeah. um, and there's, there's a few stories which I really love where you, I mean, if you, for instance, I'm, I sidetrack a little bit here. In the quarry, the Hackett family are really sweet actually they're not a horrible family um they've got themselves caught up in a really horrible situation where three of them are you know infected by werewolves but in order to try and keep people safe they lock themselves up every full moon they um, shut down a camp they do everything they can to make sure that people are safe um they're not literally going out and, and going mad but um but the way it appears is that they're doing the exact opposite. They're doing a thing where it looks like they're stalking and it looks like they're hunting. And to try and get that across, and then by the time you're halfway through, one of you shot one of their, their family. So then it, that suddenly turned them around, and it's like, oh, actually, now, you know what, they are pissed off. So, yeah, so you, so, and I really love the idea that when you're playing something, that you get to a certain point, you go, oh, no, okay, and I have to rethink all the assumptions I had up until that certain point. Right, And it yeah. changes that story. Um and there's a few writers that have done that, and 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 I, and I love that. I think that's a really I, f- I feel that feels like a very satisfying story. And now I guarantee that a lot of people won't see that, and it doesn't really matter as long as they're entertained by it, and and they get oh okay, you know, it was like um it was like Emily in um in Until Dawn. So she was the most hated character in Until Dawn. Which actor is that? So uh, Emily was uh, Nicole. Well, Bloom then. She's um, her, she's married since and changed her name. Uh, Nicole Bloom. Um, her name is now Nicole Sakura. Okay, because I just uh, played the game and I'm not remembering which one, which character that is. So that's the Until Dawn, not the Quarry. Yeah, which I'm just. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, because she's uh, kind of. Yeah. Um, but if but if you if you really watch the watch it and see the relationships that have gone on and listen to the dialogue, what's happened is that she was dating Mike in, yeah. in the, at the time when um, the sisters go missing. Oh, well, you know, fall off the cliff. Um, she was dating him, and that was all fine. And Mike was kind of like the the class president, and you know, and they were the, kind of the royalty of the of that group. Yeah. And then, um, and then the badness happened, and they all split up, and it all kind of went away. And then halfway through the year, we don't know when she dump, uh, he dumps her, and then starts going out with Jessica. Um, and then they all come back to the same place, and. Because it's a you know it's a kind of memorial thing, she feels obliged to go to it, but she's got to go there and not be with Mike and to see that Jessica is with Mike and in that sort of same place. So she hooks up with um, with Nick, and uh, and then it's like, oh okay, this is this feels this is like and it's and it's not a real relationship. She's doing it so that she doesn't lose face. Um, and ultimately, it, she's in this dreadful, dreadful situation, which I think she ha- handles quite well and can become the saviour of pretty much the entire day. 
if you don't see that, she just comes over bitchy and... and um, yeah, right, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so there's a depth of stuff there that we want to put in there. And there's a something bunch of I think people- is so interesting, and I was going to ask you about that, but I'll ask you about it now, but it's like, one of the things I've noticed in the game is it kind of... I think it's it's one of my favorite things about it is it, if you want to kind of take a character down a shallower path, yeah. that option is there. But if you want to kind of... If you're this sort of... Like, you take Zach Tinker's character in the quarry who can be that kind of jock kind of kind of broy a bit of an airhead kind of a guy yeah he's kind of a a himbo if if you choose not to pursue an arc with him where you get to see that he's actually quite sensitive and he's quite he's got quite a, an active emotional life and he and he yeah. and, you know what I mean it was funny cuz i remember Zach was talking about you know, like on some level there was people who hated his character cuz on some level they were like it's your character's fault that this happens to everybody because you fuck with the car. Yeah. And but of course, uh, Zach was like, but my character doesn't know there are werewolves. So it's not <laughs> his fault. Like and it's, it's true. Good, but you know, so um the, I don't not many people would have seen this. I mean, um there's a there's a scene that Zach, Zach's a great actor, I have to say. He's, he's so wonderful. Good. Yeah. Um yeah. there's a scene right near the very end that if he survived, um and he just breaks down in tears, and it's yeah. and it's it was. I was we were in the studio, and he was doing it. It was really moving, um, and uh, and this regret and this the understanding that whilst he didn't do it on purpose, it's entirely his fault, and he's fucked everything up. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a it's you know, and, and like I say, maybe one in eight people will see that. Uh, it's it's a you know, and and if you don't see that, then there's an entire path of that an entire facet to that character that you don't get so no, um, and I kind of it, i think it's interesting because it puts the pressure on you as the gamer to be thoughtful to think of yeah. like maybe this character has nuance and layers that i'll only get to see if i allow them to if i don't we, yeah we don't make any good or bad characters you know we right. don't go this one's the baddie um and we don't as much as we can help it ever put moral values on any character either what we'll do is put moral uh, dilemmas in uh, and then it's down to the player to decide what, what what they'll do with it within the limitation of the choices that we give them um but we don't have good and bad decisions there's if if we have an obvious good and bad decision then we've, we've bollocks it up a bit um right. it needs to be it needs to be two horribly bad decisions <laughs> it's like yeah. oh, I don't know. Yeah. so um so there's that um that yeah uh, otherwise it just well, yeah, find- it becomes Part of the design of these games, too, that I thought was so cool that you did was characters that initially might be presented as ominous or or a baddie you play through and then you see the nuance of that character. You understand the character better and you go, oh, wait, there's a lot more. To, like Ted Raimi's character is a perfect candidate for that. Yeah. He, so, you know, he's he's shot a certain way. He's filmed this. He, he's he's kind of in shadow. He's a, he's acting a bit sketch. You're like, oh, he's this is a shady cop. But then yeah. later on, we we learn more about him and his arc and you kind of understand why he's the way he is. And it's not yeah. as clear cut as that anymore. Yeah, um, absolutely. Which, you know, is kind of bucking the trend, I think, in some ways of a lot of slasher films are all are that that surf they're as deep as that surface level right like yeah. it's like you have the jock the this kind of sleazy girl the the whatever like and and those are who those characters are in yeah, these completely. games most things are not what you what they seem um yeah which i think is and also, so for instance with with ted with um with travis's character 
um, there's a there's a relationship that Travis and uh, and Laura have, which is weird because the internet's really shipped them as well, which I I didn't know was a thing till yeah. uh, <laughs> it's become it's like oh okay that's kind of interesting. But they've um, they, there's a relationship between them um, that uh, is really is really interesting. So if if you um, again I don't want to overdo over spoilers, but if you play through chapter seven which is just just pretty much takes place in the in the prison in the jail in the police station um uh there's a bit where you can explore you can find a syringe you can um uh you can hide the syringe if you've found a hiding place um and if you do all of that there's a degree of trust that comes up when um he comes back in the morning and searches you in a kind of fairly unpleasant way and it's and it and it was deliberately done in a slightly aggressively uh we didn't want to make it misogynistic but it wanted to appear that you know we wanted to give him that kind of slightly dodgy edge it's yeah it's it's a very intrusive moment for sure it's really, yeah well and i think anybody being searched by anybody else is it's not it's not you know, it's i feel not that every thing. time i go through an airport and someone's like you know like it's okay. so yeah. yeah it's yeah. such a weird thing airport, i still don't quite understand i don't do understand obviously the security side of stuff but there's a thing that's like hang on a second the world is allowed to now be mean to me <laughs> it's like yeah. <laughs> anyway um but that thing, that that relationship between them, if you if he doesn't find the syringe, it goes up a level and it's fine. Right until the end when they escape, there's a whole bunch of points where she may or may not shoot him. Um, and it's either through a struggle. She might just shoot him because she wants to. There's choices we give you to do it. There's struggles we give you to pass a quick time event. Um, there's, there's about five, six different potential shot endings where he's shot. Um, and all of them are, are avoidable. If you avoid all of them, um, there's a chance that you'll survive. If you shoot him once, you will die as Laura. There's nothing that can save you in the game. It's a really, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. And it, and the reason we did that was not because we wanted to be mean. The reason we did that is there's there's a there's a point at which I think a character can go. You know what? I'll I'll forgive all of this. But you shot me. It's like now I really hate you. There's a you know, and it's like there's no way that that's going to become, you, you know, you're not going to get past that. It's going to hurt the whole time. So um, so yeah, there's a there's a there's there's stuff like that where well, and it's like uh, you know, I I sit there and I think of the, the, all the different endings I've gotten in the game, and you know, there's a part of me that's inclined to be like, now if I had done this differently, and I but I won't do that to you because that'd be very boring for the listeners. <laughs> If I just hear and ask you if I'd done that, but you know, well, I mean, there are a few, and that was one of the difficulties we had with the um, with the rewind mechanic. Is like, um, so say you die in in the kind of sort of room at the Hackett house because um, you're killed by Travis as he stabs you to death, uh, which is a really brutal end. Actually, it's a horrible end. Um, and if you press rewind on that, you go right back to chapter seven. <laughs> Um, right. It's like oh, uh, so that's like, and that's annoyed. That absolutely annoyed a bunch of people. I think. Uh, really? <laughs> well, I remember got I to. got to the ending a bunch of times. We were in the woods, and there's the the. I don't. I don't want to totally spoil the ending, but basically, there's you know Ted's character appears prominently at the ending, and I could not figure out a way to not shoot him in that sequence. I kept being like, "Is there not a way to keep 
this guy alive to the end of the game and now obviously i've from what you're telling me there is so i've i did something wrong there but um but but i kept trying to figure out that and that's part of to me of the fun of it is like you know is trying to figure out if you want a certain path if you want a certain um conclusion figure out how to get yourself there you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, cool. oh, I, I want this character to stay alive or I want to yeah. see more of this character. So I got to try and, and if you make the wrong choice and you zigzag or you get them killed, like there's one character, I won't say it is so it doesn't spoil it, but I kept her alive in all the ways that were complicated and got her killed in the most boring way imaginable by accident. <laughs> like where she's annoying it. actually. I, yeah. And um, we're trying to, as much as possible to lose that because it's the, if you, we want people to go, Oh no! I really hate losing someone, but we don't want people to feel cheated, um, right? And that's and that's because it's like oh, you know, I, well, that, I've seen that's people when you... post that question about the game. They're like, "Is it inevitable that no matter what I did, this person would die?" And someone actually asked me that about the game after we had you know Graham and everybody on. They they said to me, "Do you know if?" no matter what, if this character dies. And I said, well, you'd have to ask Will or Graham or somebody who made the game. But my understanding is that that there is a way to keep everyone alive. And, and that's so, the so there is, except for one character. Um, and we, and, and it's a, it's, um, how do we, how do I explain this really without sounding <laughs> like I'm, I'm uh, cheating? Uh, so we use a thing called plot armor. Um, and plot armor's, uh, important and what, what i mean by plot armor is uh no matter what you do a character will survive to a certain point um and it may just be that the plot armor is we don't put them in a situation where they can die so you know you're not going to just die so um so that could be plot armor and the reason we do that is we need to be able to um to uh meter out the level that uh, people die. If you could kill everybody in the first five minutes, that's going to be the worst game you've ever played. Um, <laughs> or, so, do you know what I mean? So, so yeah. allowing that there's a there's a a, a kind of um, a distribution of available deaths at any point um, is is important, and and from that we'll do plot armor. The plot armor might just be we're not seeing them for the minute, and that's one of the reasons we have multiple characters is we can go off for an hour with Laura and Max and and Travis. As far as we're concerned an hour's gone past with the other people um, when we come back. And, you know, and even if we come back before that, the storytelling hour has gone past as well. So, um, so that plot armor is super important. Um, we have a thing where uh, we have a rule that nobody you play can have anything vital that they know, any vital information that you don't know, um, because that feels like a cheat. Right. So there have been games before where, um, uh, similar games where you've kind of been playing somebody and then you kind of cut away and then you come back and you carry on playing them. And at the end, you find out that cut away, you'd gone and murdered someone. And you know, if you'd known that, you'd have played them completely differently. So, yeah, right, um, right. so, so we never do that. Um, that's a really important thing. Um, and it's, yeah, it's that, that kind of knowledge of, of, of how that, um, uh, of how that story is being told outside of your character, but within the fact that, you know, there are obviously things like um, the passage of time. So what we couldn't, I, we couldn't do either is we couldn't have, say a light bulb flickers and goes out um, when you walk into a room. 
if you went and did a whole bunch of other stuff and then it flickered and went out when you walked in a room later, that feels like a cheat as well. Because mm-hmm. unless you affected that, that just feels like that's a that's a filmmaking trick. Right. So you, we don't allow coincidence. We don't allow those things to happen without you. You know, we don't allow knowledge that your character can have that you don't. Um, and uh, we do have a thing where what if something was going to happen, it was always going to happen. So that's and that's really important so and if you no matter what you do you couldn't have affected that a meteor comes down or a lightning strike and it has to happen at the same time it can't be based around where you happen to be um now that one character that dies uh, which is kaylee by the way the um the, the sister she always dies because at the time that laura comes up she's seen that happen and has the gun and even though you're not in control of her She's seen a werewolf and she shoots that werewolf. Um, and it's important that that happens because if that doesn't happen uh, there, then the rest of the story would have to take a very, very different thing. And you could just hide, basically. And that and it's, and it was a pivotal point at which the Hackett's then become your enemy. Um, so that's why that kind of had to happen. We did I'm wondering if that's the one I'm thinking of. Is she the character that can um, get her head chopped off by the werewolf? Is that her? No, uh, no, that's no, that's um, Abby. No, um, no, Kaylee is the one that's in the swimming pool. Okay, because I remember I I had that death where there's the uh, I played both these games back to back, so the names <laughs> of characters are blurring for me here. But but yeah. there's a sequence where I kept her alive for long enough that that there was one part where she's trying to hide behind trees and she's hiding from Lance and Ethan Sopley's character, and they're in the woods yeah. and kind of looking, and and I got her through all of it and then just as i tried to move to the last tree she got she got shot she got tagged right. and then she kind of crawls around and then she died and i was like oh man like i can't this how it happened like, i was like i got this I, I, so far. that's a rare path you found a very rare path that that was a that's a <laughs> that i know a it was like uh i was like ah oh, geez like that's so anticlimactic uh, at that point to get her this far and have it because they don't even know that they got her they're like she gets tagged and she's running through they're shooting they don't see her really she goes past the trees and then i think it's lance's character what's lance's character's name again uh jet jet he shoots her and but doesn't even know it and uh and then she like you see her crawling and she's favoring the wound and then they like a minute later they just showed her die and i was like oh crap (laughs) uh but it it had the desired effect it made me be like okay you know don't try to move trees next time (laughs) stay put is it so i thought that was the character that no matter what would would get killed but okay so no no it's it's katie and you and we never play her either so it's um it's that was and that was important Uh, that was an important part Right. Now, is that a thing like, you know, on a lot of TV shows, for example, they have like a Bible and it's certain things you can and cannot do. And the, in the, for when directors come on, you know, and they, they they're given this thing, you can't do this, you can't do that. Do you guys have something like that for these games where, where you know, there's a there's a list of rules like we can do this and we can't do this like you've talked yeah, about? Yeah, we do. Like, I mean, we, we we review it all the time. Um, right. The, uh, but we do have a set of rules and it's um and they're by and large they're they are so that people don't feel cheated. That, uh, it, that doesn't always work, and people will, will feel cheated sometimes. Like, I think you did, <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just in that uh, one instance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, and on Until Dawn, there were, there were a bunch of people who um, didn't like the, uh, the, the Keep Still thing and, um, uh, and felt cheated at the end when, you know, when they all died, if they, if they failed that. Um, 
that that feeling of being cheated is a horrible feeling, and and uh, and so we try as much as we can to avoid it, and we try as much as we can just to make sure that um, that we don't just give you arbitrary choices. Sometimes it might feel like it, but if you if you think about the genre, and you think about, I mean, it's a bit meta. This it's like okay, um, there was a scene, for instance, there was a scene in Until Dawn where Ashley is walking through these mines, and we've just left the the book which has told you um uh, because we we call it out that a wendigo might mimic somebody's uh voice right yeah and then you walk through this mine and then you hear jessica's voice who we know's gone missing calling you uh and you have a choice to to ignore it or to ca- and carry on with the and to ignore it and carry on with the other people or to go down this other little thing and it, to me, sorry to interrupt, but that that to me is entirely me thinking of your knowledge of knowing that horror fans always yell out, "No, don't go after." You know, it's like that moment where everyone yeah. goes, "Don't do that, you'll get killed." You're yeah. letting people choose whether they go pursue the thing on their own and get themselves what they would yeah. think would get themselves killed or not. Yeah, right, exactly. And and we really telegraphed it, and we did again in in um, in in the quarry. We really telegraphed it. Uh, we had this dead dead person's voice calling. <laughs> If you went down it, we gave you multiple choices to stop and not do it. And then you get to a trapdoor that's banging away uh, and you think, okay, what, what the worst thing you can possibly do is open that trapdoor. Don't open the trapdoor, but we give you the choice to open the trapdoor. <laughs> and if you open the trapdoor, we literally just take your head off. And it's like, yeah. what did you think was going to happen? I mean, what did you think? <laughs> so, um, so we did that. And then in the quarry... When um, Emma goes up into the treehouse, we do the exact same thing again. There's a trapdoor above you this time. And uh, and this time we make her say, if I open that trapdoor, I'm going to die. I'm absolutely, that's 100% I'm going to die. And if you do, you die. You can't You can't get out of it. And people still do it. It's like, it's it's really weird. We, we look at it, we, we track people's choices um, uh, it, it, with telemetry. And it's surprising how many people will do that stuff. Um, so do, you think that's, do you think that's people going, oh, I wonder if the, the the people who made this game are fucking with me. So maybe if I do this thing, it will. that's what will keep me alive. They th- they think they're being clever. Do you think that's yeah. what that is? Yeah. I think right. maybe it is. I think also just people, you know, just might go, yeah, why not? Let's kill her. <laughs> yeah. I want to see them get killed. Yeah. I want the gore yeah. or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm that person who's probably really boring to watch play because I absolutely try to keep them alive the first time I play. That's yeah. Always my objective is how many it's, can I? Do you know what? And it's an interesting thing because we, when we first wrote it, we, uh, we both of them, we thought, well, actually, that's not the perfect ending. Uh, in fact, that's a slightly rubbish ending for a horror movie. Is everyone's alive? It's like, yeah, you know, it's so boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we didn't expect that to be quite the aim. It was. Um, we've learned now that it is much more. It's like, okay, so yeah, that needs to be a really good end. That everybody alive should be a kind of like a yay high five thing. Um, uh, and actually, you know, the, the ones that my favourite, the gory versions and the and the kind of the the, the ones where that has the most twisting. I think that's where I, I really like the um, those sort of versions um, aren't are usually second or third playthroughs. Um, right. Yeah, that's how I played it the second time around was was kind of also I think you, you develop favourite characters. And characters that you're less invested in. So yeah. the second time around, I took the characters that I felt less attached to. Was like, well, I'm going to make sure I get them killed because I want to see how they how they how they die. <laughs> yes. yeah. um, you know what I mean? There's the two uh, the two guys that are um, they're so wonderful. I can't remember the names of the two actors now. Uh, the, the 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 two fellow the oh, Christ uh, is, well, Miles and Justice. 
Yeah, the, the the two the two the two fellas that that you could choose to make and uh, end up with each other is that their name? Yeah, so just Justice Smith and Miles Robbins, uh, who played Dylan and uh, and uh, oh, what's his name? Yeah. Okay, if um, you're forgetting them too, then I'm okay. I know. Yeah. There's just so many names. <laughs> There's so many characters. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, and especially yeah, when Justice Smith and, and Miles Robbins are the, are the guys. Yeah, they were, um, as well. they were such good. They had such good chemistry together. They were hilarious. Well, Miles was his his performance is one of my favorites in the game. He's so quirky and fun. He's some of the funniest line deliveries because they're so dry and that that yeah. I love that dry delivery. Uh, him and Zach were kind of the two standouts of the the young cast for me because yeah yeah, yeah. you know it, it's yeah. one of the things that I thought and and I had a question for you about this about casting for these games is um. Mm. Is casting for these games any different than casting for a film or a TV show? Like, is it? Or is it no, more- not really. It's um, it's ultimately um, we we have a kind of a wish list when we write it. Um, it's and often um, myself, Graham, might have said the same as well. Is that having an actor in your head while you're writing? The voice yeah. changes, and so that's that's going on. We're, we're, we're writing yeah. one at the moment, and we have a very specific actor in mind that if we don't get him, we might have to rewrite because literally because of uh, the nuances of the way he speaks. Right. Um, so that's so that's what we do. So we start off with that. We even get maybe second and third choices in, but ultimately we go and uh, we work with a, an amazing woman called Debbie Manweller, who uh, is in LA as a casting um, uh, director. And she's just, she comes up with stuff that's like, oh, right, okay. So so she found Zach, for instance. So Zach wasn't it wasn't on our list. We didn't know about Zach. Uh, we don't get the Young and the Restless or whatever it's called over here, and um, we don't have a lot of the TV over here. So right. um, so we didn't really know him. So she found Zach. She found, um, because it was, he wasn't famous then, He she found um, Rami Malek for us. Um, you know, yeah, he's he done a couple of things. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? But it'd been literally here <laughs> you know, at the time. He he hadn't done much at all. Um, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. There's a there's a bunch of people that we um that that she finds, and they're always winners when it, when she finds people like that. Um, so it's it's a kind of a cross between between wish and uh, because well, that's what we've wanted, and um, and ultimately, you know. Uh, there's obviously there's costs involved if you get if you try and get Brad Pitt that's going to use your budget up right um there's scheduling is is huge with this I mean we shot for I mean just principal photography was and I call it that because it wasn't because obviously it was it was mocap but it was 42 days of filming yeah um so that's that's, that's you know proper feature schedule yeah yeah, yeah, no, completely right and it's like uh so and when you've got that and you've got a cast of 17 characters um Plus COVID, you know, so you can't have them all together at once. That that was a scheduling nightmare. Um, yeah, you know, sure. We had, uh, you know, things like this. We had scenes like um, uh, the the fire pit scene where they're all sat around the fire drinking and, and playing Truth or Dare. That was shot about seven times because we couldn't have any of the characters together. So oh, um, I know. So so there's a scene where <laughs> where Emma sits down on um, on Nick's knee and kisses him. That they were separate. They weren't in the same room together. They were separate days. Uh, so she had to kind of squat and pretend to kiss midair. He had to sit there and pretend to kiss midair. And we had to kind of pretend <laughs> together. Uh, um, I mean, lots of sticks with people's names on them. Yeah, so right. Get eyelines and stuff. So for the, for actors, you know, do they is 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 this kind of its own bracket of 
you know, because you look at this, it's like there's voiceover actors, there's TV actors, there's film actors. Do you think there's going to become like mocap actors? Like, do you- well, you know what's annoying me actually now, and it's starting to, it's really starting to annoy me, is that a lot of the time I see now, um, uh, especially with Corey, and to be honest, actually, even with um, with Until Dawn, is it says voiced by, and it's like, no, they, these are their performances. These it. are, yeah. yeah, they absolutely everything they did is recorded and that's what's in the game we don't change it uh unless it's a stunt or something like that it's like literally what they did with their face with their voice with their bodies with everything that's what's in the game um and it's only i think the the ignorance of of um the people who are kind of calling it voice actors because why would they know any different and as far as they're concerned this is an animated character voiced by somebody like that but it really isn't and that and and it's really for me it's super important that we're starting to get actors get awards now for um, for stuff because they are they're acting. Uh, well, I remember I, you know Andy Serkis has been kind of fighting that good fight for a long time, right? Of like yeah. kind of you know people would Doug Jones. I remember when he was on the show was talking about that people who called him a suit performer, and he was like pisses me off. He was like you know they yeah. they don't understand that you know when I'm playing you know the the fawn or some of these characters that people have seen that they like there's prosthetics on me but my face is there i'm still giving that performance yeah. it's not you know all done by a suit like it's absolutely um, and people don't understand that yeah right but that, but i'm but i'm very keen to push on that and there's also there's other things as well we were nominated for um uh in the in great britain we were nominated for a writers guild award um which was i was like oh my god it's the writers guild and the, and the, the thing about that is it's like that's kind of Grown up, grown up art, um, as opposed to a video game. But but the the idea that video games are starting to enter into the world of mainstream, um, you know, creativity and art is a really big thing. I think it's really important um, because there's so much talent. And like you know, the actors, the writers, the uh, directors. We have directors of photography now. We have uh, we've also just been nominated for a, a visual effects society award. Um, because of the facial animation stuff done by Digital Domain. The, the stuff we're doing is, is kind of at a very different level to what I think people in the old establishment think video games right. is. I think, um, and so, and, I, and, I'm, and I, it worries me that actors are being shortchanged by just being called a voice actor. Um, it's not even accurate, talking, right? Like, it's just not right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's it's, yeah. So, yeah, that's a frustration, I think. And I'm, you know, for, for the actors... Um, are, what are some of the unique challenges that they have to to work on or figure out early on that differ from, you know, just you can take someone like Zach, you know, who who prior to the, doing the game had done, you know, a lot of television soaps and stuff like that, all these different things. But but when he came and did the game, what were some of the things, you know, that, that for someone like him or anyone of the actors, really, but that um, they had to um, uniquely get their head around for, for making the game? So the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, well, there are there are several things. So there's the the concept of a branching narrative, for for everybody is is um, can be a little yeah. bit tricky to get your head around. Yeah, right. When we get there um, and we're shooting, we've been working on it for eighteen months, so we know it backwards in our heads. We've got a, we've got um, PCs with the whole of the. I've, I've sent you a kind of a a, a a kind of layout of all the different scenes, um, and that. That's a structure that's there, and then each one of those those um, kind of that structure has a set of scripts that goes with it, a set of storyboards and everything. So, so we can take them through the story. We give them a, a kind of a, a, a one path narrative, so they know, they can read it because no one's going to read a thousand pages. And also, even just reading that thousand pages 
it's like this, you're getting the same scene over and over again, but right. different. Yeah. So it's impossible yeah. to read it as a, as a kind of a linear story. Right. So that's the first challenge, and that's the first challenge for everybody, especially the key characters. If you're a cameo and you're in for a scene, it's like, you know, it's, it's fine. Here's your pages, uh, yeah. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is, um, obviously, mocap, um, you've got to wear a Lycra suit with these funny little dots on. Um, it's, you know, you can... They're not flattering unless you're super buff. <laughs> they're not, um, you know, it's a lycra bodysuit, and it's. Uh, um, it. I think people feel vulnerable in them, and I don't no, like that. I, I think that makes me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, so, and especially if they have any anxieties about you know um, themselves, then that they, they can become a little bit awkward on that. Then they also have to wear a really tight helmet, um, and the helmet holds two cameras. And the and two microphones and the two cameras are stereo, so it's three D camera. So they've been their their faces being captured in three D. Um, the two mics are two kind of lavier mics. One's set low, one's set high. So we don't have to retake if somebody suddenly shouts or somebody whispers. Um, they they carry backpacks around with them um, with all the kind of electrics holding that through because it's all Wi Fi'd across to stuff. And then every time they stop doing a take a fan turns on so that's kind of confusing they've got dots over their faces um we make a thing called a buck for every character is that when we scan the characters they make a, a, a an actual kind of mask of that character literally i mean of that character and then <laughs> and then they drill holes through it where all the dots go so that at the beginning of the day they pop this on their face and they just put the dots on exactly in the same place every single time all of that's a real palaver, but it's so not, just like know, doing a soap opera. Really, it's just yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> very different. Thing is, yeah. And this is, I think, the hardest thing is then you go on set, and the set is a huge white studio with a white carpet and white walls and a white ceiling, and and it's clean and it's uh, and it's very sterile, and it's surrounded with these you know hundred and fifty odd infrared lights and cameras, um, and you go and stand in the middle of the floor, and in this funny suit in a white kind of sterile Willy Wonka chocolate factory room. And uh, and then you have to pretend you're up a tree in the middle of the night being chased by a wolf. And, and that disparate kind of, um, kind of understanding the way you are, I think is really hard. So what we do now is that um, we now live link the actors um, through a virtual camera to the scene that they're already in. So they can see themselves up in a tree in the middle of the night in the woods uh, being chased by a werewolf. So, they, is it like so a crude a, version of that setting? Or no, is it no it's pretty, it's, it's, well, it's not final, final, but it's not far off. And they okay. can see their characters in their own costumes and stuff. Um, and that's and that makes a massive difference. Sometimes when I can, I try and drop all the lights down um, and then shoot in a much darker arena because it just feels sort of, you know, more intimate. A little more speaking. theatrical. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and by and large, the younger actors, that's fine. Half a day in, everyone's like, okay, completely get it now. And it's all fine. There's no, there's no confusion. Everyone's there. Some of the more, um, uh, experienced actors. <laughs> that, uh, seasoned. Yeah, the seasoned. Uh, seasoned yeah, actors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who might not necessarily have any concept of what's going on in the, in, you know, motion capture. Um, not again, just because why would they? You know, if they don't, yeah. if they're not gamers and they don't necessarily yeah. experience that sort of stuff, you know, it's uh, it it feels weird. It's uh, it's kind of similar to blue screen or green screen, and they've often done that before. So 
that can have a bit of a weird one. I've had a couple of actors where, um, you know, they've asked me where the camera is, and I'm just like, well, that, that the this entire studio is a is camera. A camera. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and that, you know, but, but I get that. If you're a film or television actor, yeah. so much part of your training is to know where the camera is because you want to make sure your eye lines a certain way. And so you, you're just, you're, you, if you've been doing that for 40, 50 years, in the case of yeah. some people you're talking about, it's spread into them at this point to, yeah. first thing you think is where are they putting the camera? Like that's the yeah. first thing that, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's so, true. I could see yeah. that. But, um, and to be honest, that's, that's the, that's the difficulty they have. Once they're past that, then it's acting. We we build sets the same. They're kind of usually skeletal sets so that the infrared can go through them. So, you know, there are no walls. They're kind of just door frames and tables and stuff. So and they have props and they have, you know, and again, all kind of gray screen. Uh, How gray often scale. are they working? On, like if you have a scene where you have two actors performing together, let's say just as an example, it's Lynn, Shay and Lance. You know, if, if they're doing a scene a dialogue scene together how often are they on set together versus would they be shot separately so if i if i can i try and shoot them together um there's a there's a technical limit um just on the number of wi-fi signals going backwards and forwards and stuff uh of about eight uh okay. actors at the same time that's that's mayhem if you've got eight actors all doing that at the same time yes. that's mayhem uh with, with covid we went down to two or three um okay. Yeah. Uh, we had things where, I mean, we had to go through all the SAG-AFRA thing where, uh, you know, I had to wear three masks, I had to wear a cloth one, I had to wear an N95 and I had to wear a visor on when I was in the volume, they call it. Um, that that was that was tricky. Um, <laughs> I bet the actors, though, with all their gear and dots on were like, boo-hoo, Will. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly they were, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know what, the weird, it wasn't actually the mask that upset me. It was, it was the lack of visual communication with my yeah. face. That was yeah. the weird thing. It was like, oh, you know, and it's very odd when you, uh, when you can't use that. I'm not yeah, I'm particularly for sure. expressive, but, um, but there were some funny scenes. We had a scene, you know, where um, Lance and Lynn, Lynn, did you get the bit where Lynn shoots her face off? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Oh my God. It's the most gruesome thing I've ever seen ever. I don't think so. So there's a struggle you have with Lynn and, uh, um, uh, Siobhan, Laura, Laura, and, um, uh, uh, Constance, and is that the only way Lynn can die in that scenario? No, she can get killed by um, Chris as well. Okay, because uh, I, I, she did get killed in my playthrough. Yeah, yeah, uh, but in that thing where she shakes and and the gong goes off and literally we we it degloves her and uh, oh, it, <laughs> know, good old degloving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, and then she goes down on the ground and uh, and then Jed, her husband, comes up. And he's like, he's absolutely, he's a lovely actor. Lance is amazing. And oh, he kind yeah, of, yeah. and he came up to me and said, Will, uh, what if I behave like a dog does with, it's a, you know, with another dog that's died and it's kind of pushing it? And I said, yeah, go for it. It's like, that sounds amazing. Um, and uh, so, he, so anyway, so we, we were shooting it. Um, for, the, for the stunts, what we would do is like I said, Lynn, okay, so we'll start there. We're not going to cut but you're going to climb down, get yourself down calmly and lie down on the thing. Uh, and then we'll animate a stunt for that. And then, and then Lance kind of comes uh, kind of over and he's kind of, he's got this kind of, uh, this um, kind of arthritic feel about him, which is great. And he kind of gets down on his hands and knees and he starts, he starts kind of pushing her uh, on the ground and she starts going, ah, ah, 
and I'm, and I'm thinking, you're dead. You've got your faces off. And she's going, ah! And, um, and I'm saying, Lynn, you're dead. And she's going, no, it hurts. And Lance was really hurt. He was oh, like, shit. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it was, oh, shit, sorry. And so we had to kind of, you know, sort that out. Poor old Lynn. Right, bless them, absolute troopers. But they, it was like, oh, God, yeah. Well, you know, um, it's funny because Lance is that kind of actor. Like, uh, I, you know, I was telling you off camera a bit, but, but uh, you know, I know Lance and, and he and I almost worked together on a film. And I remember, you know, him coming to sit down at a, we, we met at a cafe, a cafe somewhere and he had pages of ideas about his character. He never brilliant. just, I don't yeah. think Lance ever just does a thing. I think he always comes to me and has, I, I remember him saying to me, got all these ideas. If you want to use them, that's awesome. If you don't, mm. I won't be take, I won't be offended or anything. That's fine too. Whatever you want to do. Yeah. Um, but I've got these, these are my ideas for, it. and most of them yeah. were great. Um, yeah. because he really, well, he's a very thoughtful was, actor. It was his, idea where, where the Raven, uh, in the, um, fortune tellers thing comes from is the, uh, he came up and said, uh, yeah, well, uh, if, uh, wherever, uh, a wolf goes, there's always Ravens follow. And, uh, it's like, what? And he said, yeah, it was kind of like, um, uh, it's it's carrion. Is they kill something? Yeah. As soon as they kill something, the the ravens. And we thought this that's great. That's an amazing yeah. thing about yeah. maybe you know if you have wide shots where the wolves where the werewolves are, you just have this little circling thing of ravens going around on top. Because and then just you a little bit of texture. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. um, yeah. Yeah. So he you know and just stuff like that he would come up with. And that's that dog thing. It was even though he wasn't a werewolf, it was the whole thing of of that kind of like let's just become slightly pack based, slightly kind of um, you know um, uh, canine. Yeah. I mean, I remember in the first, in, in Until Dawn, uh, Brett Dalton, is that the name of the actor? Played yeah. Mike. Um, I, I love that about, you know, there was there was that thing about his character in that one where he's kind of like a bit like Zach's character in that one. At first you think he's kind of the jaw kind of, you know, and, yeah. and again, and again, it's that scenario. There's a little more to him than that. And, and, uh, and he's, he's a little bit more of a, a nuanced character than that. But, but I remember that my first time playing the game, I was like, oh, this guy's kind of a dick. And, you know, so I kind of was like, I'm going to get him killed. I'm going to. And then when I played it the next time and I was like, well, I'm, let's see what happens. If you keep alive. And I got to see, oh, wait, you know, there, there is more to that character. And there's and I think for the actors in this film, you know, and part of it, it's so much of that is like in any movie or show, it's it's in the casting. Like if you get thoughtful, yeah. interesting actors and that's again because they're not voice actors, they're in the yeah. game. Um you know, they always say that about about filmmaking that that as a director, if you've cast well, that you know a huge part of your job is done by just casting well. Completely, and I, I, and it frustrates me a little bit that um, the, uh, certainly within the games industry that we it, a lot of people don't know that a good actor is much better finding their character than you trying to tell them. Certainly, either giving them a read or giving them a, a very very specific you know where, uh, direction of a of a of a of a line. Um, because they'll do that, you know, a good actor will really find that character. Um, and they want to, it's not, you know, they're not, by and large, if you're an actor, you're not just turning up for a job every day. You're doing that because you love yeah. doing it. And I think, um, yeah. I think it's, I, I, as much as I can, I'll, I'll, um, I'll let actors do what they want. Um, and then there's a point where they go mental and then they just go. <laughs> well, it's, it's <laughs> funny too, because them. gamers can be very, um, judgy that way. I was reading an article recently and they were talking about, um, the cyberpunk game that Keanu Reeves did. And, yeah. and there were some gamers who were kind of bitching in the comments section about, well, maybe they should have taken that money instead of hiring fancy Keanu Reeves and put it into the budget of the game. And, you know, da, da, da. and I was just like, wait a minute, like 
it was great fun for me in that game to have Keanu Reeves show up and play a character. Yeah. He's a huge movie star. Having him in a game was awesome. I loved that crossover between, you know, having a big star in a game and, and having him inter- be part of that. I mean, that's great. I think it's the more we see of, of that cross pollinization of, you know, taking, getting some great film actors to show up in games. I think that's good for the gaming business. So I when you have these gamers who are like, Oh, what are you spending money on some fancy name for? I'm like, I don't think that's how it works. I mean, I could no, be wrong. I, I, but... I've learned now that, um, so one of the things, one of the criticisms we get for these sorts of games is that, that a lot of people say, oh, well, there's no gameplay. And uh, it's like, okay, well, uh, well, the, there is. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it depends on what you call gameplay. So um, so game, so a lot of people think gameplay is uh, direct agency on a character. Uh, which I completely understand. I think that's a that's a definitely kind of thing. But obviously, if you do that, then you can't have cinematic uh, in right. the same way because you're you know the way that you can't frame somebody if you don't know where they're going to be, um, and the camera will be the camera that it'll be like a follow cam, whatever. The other thing is is gameplay. So I, my favorite games are uh, FPS. I love a first person shooter. I will sit and play Battlefield for hours on end online. I, I just love that, and that's a game that I really like to play. Um, that we didn't have anything that's first-person shootery in the game. Actually, there's a little bit, but not much. Um, and that if you if that's what you think of as gameplay, then then there isn't much of that. If what you think of gameplay is driving, if what you think of it is you know, there's so many versions of what gameplay is. Is that calling it gameplay as a kind of a generic thing is like that's really hard. The game in these games is is the story. It's like yeah. You know, it, it's like it's 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 kind of like, and I'm not going to completely equate it. It's kind of like a game of chess. It's like you, you're given a situation, and then you make a choice, and you do a thing. You're not you're not literally riding a little horse uh, yeah. <laughs> across. It's like I've made a choice, and that's the thing I've done, and that changes the scenario. And then there's you know, chess is super complex, but that's what the game is. So it's it's um, uh, but I do understand if you're expecting something like that and you don't get that then it must be frustrating and and i've learned now not to kind of get as angry (laughs) or frustrated as i used to by people saying it's there's no gameplay i just it's like okay well there's no gameplay of the sort that you like but there's yeah i mean like have you ever played the game alan wake yeah I love that game. I thought the game was brilliant because I I love that the, the idea of playing as a writer in this Stephen King like sort of yeah. Lynchian world and and I loved all that. But there were people that I remember saying I loved the game to who who were like, yeah, but like you know it's there's not a lot of gameplay. You just kind of run around to what feels like kind of a guided trajectory for the character and and I was just like, so what? It's a great. It's a cool story. I like the character. Like if I think it's you're right. If your idea of gameplay, it has to be. GTA, where you have just a massive open world, you can kind of feel like you can do whatever the fuck you want. And there's like, yeah. if that's your idea of gameplay, it's, it's, it isn't that. Um, yeah, yeah. but to me, like, if that's, if that's what you want, there is a lot of, there's a lot of that out there. You have a lot of choices in that regard. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think it's nice that for, for someone like me who, who is a cinephile, but also yeah. a gamer, this game is that perfect cross section. You know, these, yeah, these games sure. that you're, that Supermaster's making have that perfect cross perfect crossover appeal for me of that cinematic quality, but it's still feeling like I'm playing a, a game, you know? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So I kind of feel like that's who the target audience kind of is to me of these games is people who love movies, but are also gamers. And to me, it seems yeah. like that's the perfect fit for these kinds of games. Um, yeah. But it's, you know, it's also interesting. I remember like, you remember years ago when the final fantasy movie came out? Like, I guess I it was 2000. 
it was like early 2000 yeah, and that yeah, yeah. Came out and and i remember all the reviews there was all these critics saying what's gonna happen are there you know will, will movie studios even need actors anymore if they can just make people like da, 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 da. And there was all this talk of actors for you we're gonna be losing jobs now to cgi characters and obviously it didn't go that way at all well um, and it can't i think what i've learned now is that is that the, with everything the talent has to be a human talent i think you know we've tried so many ai things we've tried so many automated things we've tried uh i mean literally uh not not to try and get rid of actors just for for non kind of uh for npcs for instance or, or whatever right ultimately you need an actor you need an actor you need you need um artists you need creators to, to make that stuff and when you when when you you know, when, when Until Dawn came out and it went on to become sort of this success that it did, which wasn't in, overnight, but over time it became, you know, it was kind of, a, I guess you'd call it a sleeper hit sort of. It, people over yeah. time found the game and now they have these, you know, Until Dawn watch parties where people get together and yes. play them. It's, it's like a, I, I made the comparison to you earlier of it being like the Rocky Horror Picture Show of, of gaming. Because <laughs> yes. um, people participate and they have groups and get, you know, was that something that you guys hoped would be the the reception of the game or did you did you not really expect that was that a shock when people were having these these parties and stuff so we so we definitely we wrote it to be a kind of what we call a date night game um so that you sat on a sofa with with somebody else um and that was definitely a, a kind of that was part of it we never expected to be as big as that with the kind of party stuff and and things and also the other thing is we never expected it to because there wasn't such a thing in those days really or, or very little of it to be streamed and um for for the amount of stuff to go onto youtube we got we got over a billion views on youtube for until dawn it's like i mean, it's like a billion seems mental that's, yeah, that's a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. A lot of views. I'm going to tell you this. You probably know this. I found out the other day, somebody was telling me that the difference between a million and a billion is a million seconds is seven days, seven, eight days. A billion seconds is 37 years. I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. There you go. Uh, yeah. So, um, but no, that's, sorry, that little tangent there. So, um, the the popularity and the kind of the party side of stuff was like that was such a joy and the shipping I love the shipping there's a really lovely thing called um, climbing class uh, which is a relationship between Josh and Chris that was never written in directly written in but they have this kind of friendly relationship but they have a full on proper uh, romantic relationship in this in this thing called climbing class um, and it's called climbing class because when Chris climbs through the window uh, and drops down and um, he goes, oh, I should have been listening in climbing class. And Josh goes, what, you mean gym? <laughs> so uh, yeah, that yeah. that whole thing, that's that's like, that stuff was a mad. Um, and the artwork and the, you know, the, the stuff that goes on is, is amazing that people, that fans do. Um, yeah, there's so, yeah. some very dedicated fans out there who have done really artwork is, yeah, yeah. and written short fiction and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. you know, one of the things I was curious about the going back and playing the two games back to back is when you finished... What was the window between developing the quarry after Until Dawn? Like, you, to, when did you first start developing the quarry? 2019 so, um, or 20? No, so I started back in 18. Um, okay. Uh, thinking about the idea, this first part's the idea. Um, it's It was a hard one because it wasn't... What we didn't want to do is it's not... Obviously, it's not a sequel to, to Until Dawn, but because Until Dawn had this kind of flavour to it, we definitely wanted to have a similar feel to it. Um, sometimes we call it the kind of spiritual successor to it because it's, right. it has the same sort of thing. It's um, 
So I started writing it uh, in 18, and the way it works is I just, I start off, I write a screenplay, like an actual 90-page, 100-page screenplay, um, or with all the characters. I, you know, I, I'm, I'll admit, I kind of use Save the Cat, I use, um, I use uh, The Hero's Journey, I use a whole bunch of very, very traditional storytelling, not guides, I don't use them as guides, I use them as kind of like um, checks and things, and I kind of make sure things that sort yeah. of stuff work. It's a very um, it's a very fragmented story always because of the a number of characters. So uh, the, the stories are very spoked. So because it's not a linear story, because it can't be, um, be, because if you kill someone on a linear story, then the story stops. So so ours are very much a spoked story. So it's like a wheel with, and each character has a story into the kind of the middle, which is the end. Um, and we jump from spoke to spoke to spoke, and and it, and it means that if someone dies, you've still got the rest of the wheel solid, um, and it doesn't kind of crumble away. And weirdly, it's kind of the way Stephen King seems to write his stories. He jump from person to person to person, but they're all the same journey. Um, yeah. So that's so that's the first part of it is, is write that kind of that screenplay. That's, is that so where the stuff in, in Until Dawn with the butterfly wings and the ripple effect? Is did it call kind of all derive from that concept of of sort of the the spoke of of, of these characters like? Because it's it's very much kind of almost a literal kind of metaphorical quality of until dawn that isn't. It, it literally is. It's, I mean, that, that's exactly what we did with that. It's um, it's we call it the butterfly effect. I mean, obviously that's very specific to that IP, so we couldn't call the branching of butterfly effect on the other ones. But it's but it very much is that. It's very much that kind of um, that concept. Right. Um, and uh, and so that that I did that mid twenty eighteen. Um, but we were thinking about it, um, looking at, um, there was a lot of stuff as well going on just technically in the background before that. So the the idea of using digital domain and um, and getting facial animation to a level that, in run, that really hadn't been done in runtime before, which was much higher res models, um, using, not using animators, none of the, in the quarry there are no animation uh, animators sitting doing the animation on the faces. It's literally, it's recorded um, in 3D. It's then, um, it's it's analysed by uh, machine learning. There's a whole bunch of machine learning. And then that kind of goes through a process and then that gets kind of, um, uh, we have a bunch of conforms based on their people's scans. So all the positions of their face are scanned, which is why I think it's a performance and not a voiceover. It's like what they do is what they do and the, and the yeah. scans are them doing it. So, um, so then there, there was a, there's a lot of that sort of side of stuff behind the scenes going on. So yeah, so it was about 2018. Um, 20 by 2019, we'd had a few more people on the team. We were looking at branching. We we're then breaking it out to a much bigger kind of uh, scale. Um, uh, we storyboard it all up. It's I mean it's it's pretty much like film production. You know, we cast it, we storyboard it, we then do a whole bunch of layout. So we make the whole game in 3D, but we're kind of like kind of. A-frame characters or T-pose characters um, kind of moving around just to see what the dynamics are, start looking at shots. Um, and then, and then you know, we spend a year casting and production. And so, yeah, so, I mean, it's it was only, uh, it was only a couple of years, really, two, three years after Until Dawn that we actually started the quarry. Obviously, then it when takes the three years to make it. So When you finished Until Dawn and, you know, we're starting to get reactions from the players and, you know, whatever critics or gaming sites, whatever it was, were there certain things when you, okay, like that's interesting. You know, we're going to do that differently on the next one. Well, so there was definitely, a, there was a bunch of stuff where, um, 
so with the criticisms we get and do get still are often by people who don't necessarily play the games. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of things all have played at once and just gone well. That was just linear. So some people go well. There doesn't the choices don't make any difference. Um, and it's like well, uh, unless you play another version of it, then you don't know. It's like you've yeah. only ever played a linear version. So so we get a lot of criticism on that. Um, and uh, I mean, I mean, if you've played it twice, you'll know what the differences are. And if you play it through ten times, there's there's stacks of differences. So so they do make a change and they do they do that stuff. But the feeling that they don't is important. So, um, so we looked at uh, telegraphing that more. Um, we looked at um, le- we tried to look at. So when the, so what, when until dawn finished, the studio then went on to start working on um, the dark pitches. Um, so whilst I was in the background uh, working on other bits and pieces, and I was I, I would kind of um, come in and out of the dark pitches, uh, certainly in the early days. There was a there were a number of things that we were looking at to try and resolve. One of the one of the criticisms we got was that um, it was a lot of money to spend on a game for maybe uh, you know ten hours. It was like eight to ten hours or whatever. Um, turns out that that was maybe less of an issue than we thought. But we thought, well, okay, well let's make a shorter let's see, make a series of shorter games at a much lower price point, and then people can get them, and you know there it would be. And if we make them an anthology, um, we can we can keep a kind of cast of of like a, of actors almost in a way to be able to to play different characters, but like repertory theatre, you know. So um, like American Horror Story did on, on exactly right, exactly that. And um, so so there was a lot of savings that we could make, and therefore and push that through to the to the um, the consumer that we could drop the price down. Uh, we, there was things about making it multiplayer, so people wanted, um, you know, that sort of stuff. What we're doing now, actually, uh, on the dark pitches, is there's lots of feedback backwards and forwards, and, and the dark pitches are becoming more traditionally gamey. There's a lot more agency. Yeah, like directly. in the newest one, they added an inventory. Your characters have inventory screens. Yeah, exactly, they, yeah, they have inventory. You can yeah. now, rather than just walk around, you can walk and run and climb and and do a whole bunch more as, as in exploration. So all of that comes from feedback from the audience. And, and you know, we don't want to sit there and, and dogmatically just give you, well, this is what we want, take it. But, um, uh, but also you've got to be careful that you don't necessarily kill the essence of what you're doing by by adapting it so far down a route it's like well hang on a second we've lost what we are in the first place so um so it's a fine line uh and we're constantly honing that and honing that and honing that especially with the dark pitches because we're trying to come out with pretty much one a year which is a massive undertaking um you know it took us three years to make uh the quarry um, if you think what we're doing one a year, that means there's a f- bunch of productions I- running in parallel at different stages along the way. So it's um it's it's a big it's a big set of uh, of logistics that's going on there. Um, right. But yeah, um, things like um, uh, what was the one thing we did when we did Man of Dan, we we made so many choices. I mean, we we had one. I remember we were looking at the uh, the script. Uh, Graham wrote the script on that as well. Um. We looked at this. We had we had this one series of conversations that, um, because the one of the criticisms had been about the fact that they didn't think it branched. We we overcompensated, and it branched massively. We had one conversation that was was a shortage conversation, but it was the ratio of what you saw versus what was there was one to twenty seven. So the conversation you had, whichever version you had, 
was one. There were 27 other versions of that conversation. Wow. And, and it was like, and the thing is, that's just, ultimately, that's a waste of money. No one's ever going to see those 27 27 things. versions, yeah. Yeah, and also... Yeah. Yeah. 24 of them were similar. <laughs> so, right. Um, yeah. So it, then it becomes like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's be, let's be judicial about this. Let's, where we spend our money, let's make sure it's, it's value for money. It's not just, it's not just logistics of, of, uh, or statistics of, okay, there's that much. Um, so we learned that sort of stuff. We learned that you can overly branch um, and it doesn't really make any difference. It just becomes annoying and, and very costly. Uh, you can, you know, um, the thing about plot armor, we try, first of all, to get rid of plot armor. Um, again, with, with Man of Dan, you'll see there's very little. Anyone can die at any point. Um, but then ultimately you have to then backfill. So it doesn't really help. And, and the audience don't, don't feel, or they didn't seem to feel um, in any way better off by not having plot armor. Uh, they, you know, no one knows about it until somebody tells them. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's, yeah, it's it's we're, we're it's constantly evolving, um, the language is evolving, um, and depending on what specific audience you're going for, you know, like I say, with the, with the dark pictures, that's a much uh, feels like a darker, uh, and slightly more, um, slightly well darker, I guess that's the, is the thing, uh, feel to it. Whereas the 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 quarry and until dawn are much, uh, are a little bit lighter, not much lighter, but a, a bit lighter, a little bit more humorous. I think. I mean, it seems to me that one of the early challenges going, I'm guessing, as far back as Until Dawn was always going to be something like replayability was going to be a challenge, right? If people have the perception of, even if you tell them, no, no, you know, you can go through it and make certain choices and you're going to get certain outcomes, but the next time you change it, it's going to be a completely different experience because you, if they don't buy that or if they didn't see that it would be meaningful enough that they wouldn't play it again. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think replayability is a challenge even with games like that have a new game plus mode because if you feel like you're just going to slightly vary from the beats you've already seen, you know, giving a game can be 10, 15 hours of your time. It's not like a movie. You watch a movie you love yeah. a, a few different times because it's only a 90 minute commitment or whatever. What What were some of the things that you guys had to sort of come up with to go, this is how we'll make sure that people understand why they should play this game more than once well so uh, that's an interesting thing and actually we, we you know we've done a little bit since and we're going to do more on the next ones as well is is and it's kind of comfort really it's um what we don't want people to do is to, is to sit there thinking oh why can't i skip this why can't i just get you know past this but what we also don't want to do is to have people where you're skipping stuff that you might not have seen and there might be nuance or or personal information in that that's very similar to the last time you played it but isn't so um so there's a little bit of kind of, of working out how to do that we did it a bit with a with the death rewind where it it allowed people to not necessarily have to go and play the whole thing again because someone died at a certain point to find out what the other route would be um but that was limited to three to three goes in a playthrough uh, also, if you once you played it through, um, the you, you don't necessarily have to um, go and start the whole game again. You can start from any point in the game. Uh, uh, we need to do that. We I think we need to do more on that. That you could basically even potentially set up a series of 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 um, this. And to be honest, we have this in the debug when we're when we're making the um, game. We have a series of things where we have to go. Okay, so and so's dead. This person's fallen off a hedge. Um, you know, a, a duck attacked so and so. We need to have all those 
preset so that we know where we're going from a certain point. I, it might be interesting to look at having a bunch of those that either you've already done that allows you to kind of put those in as presets so that you could go to a certain level and go, and you know what, if I had done this, 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 and this, at this stage, what are my options from there on? Um, so there's, there's a, yeah, there's, um, like I say, comfort things uh, where it would allow people less frustration and, and see more of what there is. Um, we, I think we became overly precious, perhaps, on the going, no, no, you've got to play the story through. It's like, um, yeah. you know, that, that's what it is. And, uh, um, and, there, and, there was, and there was a, ra- a rationale behind it and a reason behind it. And it wasn't, it wasn't entirely, you know, wanky. <laughs> it was, kind of, it was about, about, you know, if you don't do that, then it, it's going to make no sense. So, um, but I think, yeah, I think we should allow people a little bit more uh, control. And now that you've, you know, the, the quarry has come out and you've gotten feedback on that, you know, is there certain, is there anything in particular that you've learned from this game that you, that you'll, that you're like, okay, we're again on the next game, we're going to try to add to that component or, or augment that. Like, is, you know, one of the things I saw when I was looking through message boards and stuff that I thought was interesting, because I saw this, I don't say criticism, but comment a few times where people who were like, there's all these great actors in the game, David Arquette, Lance Henriksen, but they're they're not in it enough. I wanted to see more of them, and I'm like, oh, because if they made certain choices, they would see so much less of those actors. Or and so then there's that that notion of like, you remember in the '90s when directed video movies became that, you know, and, and you'd see, you know, Robert England starring in whatever, and then and he's on the his big face on the poster, and then you'd put it in, and he's in the movie for three minutes. It's a cameo. Yeah. You know, you've been sold that he was the lead, but he's not really. People feel yeah. cheated when that happens, right? So, yeah, you know, yeah. Is that is that sort of one of the challenges is, you know, people, let's say you're a huge fan of David Arquette and you play this game, but you only saw him for five minutes. Do people yeah. get pissed about that? The, the, well, a little bit. I think there's a thing. It's, it's you know, um, it, weirdly, I think minute wise, he's in it longer than the last screen. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um, but in a percentage of a 10 hour game, then that's obviously that's fairly short. So, um it's it's a difficult one. So we had this character, the Chris character, and it was like, um, well, we know what he is. He's supposed to be this fairly avuncular character right at the beginning that obviously is too nice and too good to be true, um, who gets f- kind of caught out because he suddenly realised it's dusk is coming and he's about to turn into a werewolf and he has to start off and do this thing. And that we don't see him again because he's a werewolf till the end when he's rampaging around attacking people. And then he's a werewolf, so we still don't really see him. Um, now that we'd written that before it was David Arquette, like I said, at one point it was, you know, it was Bruce Campbell. Um, that, um, that character, when you get the chance to go, wouldn't it be brilliant if we got David Arquette to do that? Then you go, yeah, of course it would. It would be amazing. Um, but you then suffer the, 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 the danger of then people going, oh my God, David Arquette's in this and he's going to be the star and it's going to be that thing. So it's, yeah, there's a, there's a trickiness there. We didn't put him in, a, you know, in the poster. If you, I don't know if you can see it behind me. probably can't now. Um, uh, it's gone a bit dark. Um, you know, the picture that right at the beginning, in the middle, is Laura. Um, the, right. All the characters around the outside are ancillary characters. So it's not that we were, we didn't want to oversell it, but you know what? He, we got David Arquette in our game, so we, we do want to say a little bit about that. Of course. Um, Ultimately, you know, um, when you're doing something like this and you're doing a big 42, 46-day shoot, actually, when you're doing that, it's um, you, you, the more famous the actor, the more money they, they cost. And, uh, yeah. and yeah. ultimately, we have to break down that budget. We have to get a number of people in there and we have to fill 15 hours worth of um, at least of footage. Uh, 
if you you know you 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 have to balance that up i think um the and also schedules the fam- more famous they are the more the more um busy the more the trickier it is to kind of uh, make sure that everyone's on the set at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, there's um, maybe maybe we'll be a little bit more upfront about. Uh, well, the trouble is you don't want to. You don't. You know, it was like you give it away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was like it was like um, it was like Scream. You know, if you, the very first Scream. What was her name? Um, when she's Drew in Barrymore. the kitchen. Sorry. Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Right. So she, yeah. you know, star. She's there. She's dead in ten in five minutes. So. It's like, it's not, it's Hitchcock, you know, uh, Psycho. Um, Janet Lee. So uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mum. Yeah, Janet uh, Lee. Janet Lee is, is, you know, she's in it, gets killed in the first yeah. two, th- in the first third of the, it's like, so it's, it's not, it's not that it's unheard of. I can understand if you, th- you know, you thought you were going to get a big kind of David Arquette thing, then it's like a bit annoying, but ultimately it's not. I don't feel that we cheated anyone. <laughs> um, no, I saw I, one like fan who commented who was like, you know, Lynn Shay's on the poster. And then in my gameplay, she was only in it for like five minutes, you know? And I was just like, well, I don't know what their choices were, but she was in it for a lot more than five minutes of yeah. mine. It's like, you know, that's the thing. It's like when you, people, I, I think it's different, right? Because because the format of this game is, we've talked so much about that in, in our talk, on our conversation yeah. already, but the format of this is so different, right? So I think people are used to a traditional style of gameplay where the, it's cutscene driven. So you're going to see a yeah. certain yeah. amount of a character no matter what, but yeah. that's not how this game is going to unfold. So yeah. I think getting your head around that for some people might be yeah. a challenge, right? Uh, and actually, to be honest, the, the, when you look at all the characters and how much all of them are in it, there's not, None of them are in it massive. The, the the two people that are in it the most are probably Travis and Laura, um, and uh, but everybody else is, has a shortish time because and we do that on purpose because we jump from tra- tra- chapter to chapter and we jump from person to person because of that. Um, right. So you know, partly because we want to get the jeopardy. I'm not playing going anywhere. Um, but also because um, you know that's that's the way that the spokes work to to keep yeah. it together. When I was, you know, it was funny. When I first played the game, I thought based off just the poster and I had seen a trailer and stuff, I thought very much, oh, well, this is an homage to a throwback to summer camp slasher movies. So I thought for sure this is going to be a masked killer. And then werewolves. I mean, um, what made you decide on werewolves for the for kind of the, the monster of choice for this game? Well, I love werewolves. They're, they're, they're a great thing. They're, it's like, so... Um... It's again coming talking about the fantasy stuff before. Werewolves are ridiculous when you really think about it. You know the, the fact that someone is gonna change into a into a completely different animal um, and then kill and eat people and then get better in the morning is, is insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, but once you enter that world, it's like oh, okay, well you know if we're doing that, let's do it. Then then you can then you can muck about with the law. Uh, I did an entire kind of sort of, I actually made a little kind of weird um, infomercial thing of it about what the law is about, you know, if so-and-so's bitten, how long it takes from the bite to become fatal, not fatal, to become infected, what can you do? Um, You get all these sort of rules that, you know, that you can um, muck about with. And also, story-wise, it's very interesting. We, We had a thing where... There's the van where I don't know if you remember. So Emma, if you if she survives, will get and hide in the van, um, in the minivan in the in the in the middle of the kind of the car park. Um, when she gets there, 
she can either have been bitten by Max up in the treehouse, or she can be have been bitten by um, not Silas by Caleb um, in the woods, uh, or she could not have been bitten at all. When when you get there, if she was bitten by Max and you open it when you're Dylan, she'll be a werewolf and she'll come out and attack. Um, if you get there and she was bitten by Caleb, she'll come out, she's normal, and she'll go down into the cellar with Abby and she'll attack Abby because she'll change down there because it was a later bite. And if she didn't get any of those, then she's fine. We we specifically called the van at the back. It's called Schrodinger's minivan because you don't know what's going to happen until you open the door. You don't know what animal's going to be in, <laughs> yeah. what state it's going to be in. So... Um, uh, and that was it. There's the story side of the werewolf thing is that depending on whether or not you get bitten and de- and de- depending on uh, whether or not you potentially can cut the thing off, that gives you those sorts of stuff, is it allows you to still be a person that's going to change. Um, and if you're not and if you don't know somebody's been bitten, it allows a whole bunch of kind of uh, suspicion and jeopardy, like the game of Werewolf Three. So there's a, you know, th- that was a thing about it. It's like, okay, let's do that. Um, and we, you know, it's it, we were talking earlier about sort of horrors and stuff. It goes back to the universal things. We very specifically didn't want these to be overly doggy. Um, we wanted them to be kind, of not not full Wolfman. I got a cross between the two. But there's a, there's something about that. There's something about um, about werewolves and that whole tradition. My, my f- probably second favourite ever film is called American Werewolf in London, which I'm sure you know very yeah. well. Um, yeah. It's I just genius. Right over here. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you, if you look in the, when Max has the rejection letter, you can see it's Landis University and it's like a, you know, there's little, there's little nods. I think American little... Werewolf is like, you know, one of those movies of a short list of horror movies I have that's almost a perfect horror movie. There's nothing yeah, it's, it because really it manages is. the humor and the horror so deftly. It's you know it's such a well made movie. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's fantastic. It's like a it's brilliant and I, and you know so there's that. Um, I actually also like the recent Wolfman one. I thought that was beautiful. I really actually I also really like the Van Helsing film. Um, I know it's a bit cheesy, but the, the, the Hugh Jackman one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's a, but it's a good romp, and there's some cracking wells in that. So there's something really good about that. I, you know what? I, it could have been vampires as well. I could have happily got as engaged in that as well. Uh, but this felt this felt the right thing to do at the right time. But what made you like? Because what's funny to me is like you said it in a summer cam, and you're immediately creating the expectation of a slasher film. Like people immediately are going to think Jason Voorhees, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. That's that's you know. So was it just a fun misdirection to go? We're going to send a summer cam. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, it was that. It was also it. It, um, it sets it in a period. Not. I mean, it sets it in the eighties without it being the eighties. Um, the it. Um, it's. The, so I, I really like the idea of mucking about with what people's expectations of time is. So we obviously, as with all horrors, you have to get rid of mobile phones super early. Yeah, the biggest um, fucking problem for modern day horror filmmakers yeah, is just, it's like, yeah, just ring the police. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so you have to get rid of that either by signal or just you know dead battery, battery whatever. whatever. Yeah, so you got to get yeah. rid of that side of it. Um, the eighties was great because it was like it was modern enough that people still have can understand the zeitgeist of it. But so when you think back, what we had in the 80s, it was rubbish. It was like, you know, maybe a Walkman, 
But um, technologically wise, murder wise, you know, there, there was no DNA really there. There was no, um, there was no CCTV. There was, no, it's like, I, I can't believe there were loads of serial killers then. I can't believe there weren't more. <laughs> in yeah. The <laughs> um, so whereas now it's like, you know, you're always on TV. If you go out the door, you're being watched somewhere. And if not by somebody else, by you, you know, you're being tracked. Everything's the you know so so that gives it a, that uh some account thing gives it that it all like you say it automatically puts it into the the Voorhees thing um in fact um the fortune teller's surname is Voorhees uh in the script it never comes out but it, you know just so you know it's, like, <laughs> it's there uh there is something really nice about setting up a thing and you go okay i know what we're going to do here and very very early on we did this thing where these two kind of um uh redneck guys up in the woods um very much you know we i wanted to do it not just myself we wanted to do this thing where it's kind of of mice and men you know this um this lenny and george character this big kind of character and this little you know thing covering their face in blood which was kind of the mask it, you know isn't a mask itself um having this kind of real ominous thing of you know it felt like some sort of sort of uh, ritual thing, but actually it was actually just to stop them being bitten because if you're covered in blood, the other werewolves can't find you. Right. And therefore, so so all of that stuff was about misdirection and you think that they're being stalked um, for some sort of, you know, feast and then, then the werewolves come through. So there's definitely a bit of that. Um, but also, compared to Until Dawn, I wasn't over-worried about people just knowing it was a werewolf thing um, and then just going down that route. Um, I don't think necessarily... Uh, um, the not knowing what things are. The thing is, once somebody's played it once, it's out there on the internet. So you can't yeah. hide it after the first day. So after that, everyone's going to know. So if you're just say, if you say to yourself, well, after that, it's going to be a rubbish game for everybody, then that's silly. So we did allow for that to be okay. But there's, you know, I, there's a journey. It's a roller coaster, isn't it? You want to kind of, you want to take people down a kind of a route and go, you know, it's, it's like you were saying, it's kind of, you, you, you put yourself into into somebody's hands to be entertained, um, albeit that it's, you know, you make the choices as you go along. Well, and I think in that sense, you know, the, the games that you guys are doing are much more writer's games than most games. You know what I mean? Because for you and, and, and Graham and what's the other fellow's name that you wrote this with? Uh, Alex, Alex Farnham. Alex, you know that there's that performative element that's so much more part of this than it is in your average game, you know, where, yeah. where characters have a routine thing that they shout out while you're running around playing with them. But it, yeah. there's a loop of it. And, you know, even to the point where in some games where it's annoying because you're like, yeah. Oh my God, did this guy say this thing 50 times uh, because there's only so many iterations of what they can say here. Like there's, you know, I mean, I remember that before I had spoken to Graham or you or, any, or anyone involved in this game, the first thing I remember thinking as a screenwriter was, how do you guys do the, the as writers, the amount of iterations of, of paths here and not have your brains explode? Like, because, yeah. you know, that's to me, that seems like it would be a huge challenge is like, because not only just is it a lot to keep track of, you want it to be meaningful. You don't want to just have some yeah. tangential thing that doesn't really matter or silly or um. Yeah, I mean, we we, we write uh, in a very so we write in final draft to be honest, and that's the uh, as a you know so it's fairly traditional. What we do though is we incorporate the the way the the formatting and that into a kind of a, a, a fairly clever 
Uh, actually, it's in Unreal. Um, we built a sort of thing inside Unreal where you see the flow of the story. Um, we So we never really shoot more than about one page of dialogue before something happens, before you make right. a choice, before you do something. Um, so it's about a minute. It's about a screen minute um, of stuff going on, and then you're involved either directly or what, by what's called a Boolean, which is um, something happened ages ago, uh, and because of that the the version that now moves forward has clicked in here and then that changes so so it's an edit point um so uh and we can we can see that graphically we can see uh, where each one of those little kind of sequences is where the branching happens what causes the branching what causes the potential pinch point of it uh, back in again or what fundamentally changes the direction significantly which is kind of a bit like the butterfly effect or the path chosen thing, where it's a, it's a very significant thing. Like I was saying earlier about, uh, you know, when you shoot, um, if you shoot Travis, that means you're going to die. So that's a really big kajunk click. That's a really like, okay, you've done something now, you cannot get out of that. That's the path is chosen. Um, and no matter what goes on, there's loads of other things that can change. That one thing won't change. Um, right. And uh, and then, you know, you write it just as you would write it. As a writer, you're, I'm sure you do this, where you kind of think, yeah, but what if that happened? Um, and you think about a different route, and then maybe you choose, as a writer, which route you want to go down, and then you do that, you write that route. It just means it's a different draft, almost, of what that is. We do then sit down um, and really scrutinise it. We go through it line by line by line, down all the different routes, and make sure, we again, we're not, we don't want to have any plot holes, but also we don't want characters to become banal and drift off. We want to keep their voices and uh, and make sure that they're you know they're still believable characters, regardless again of what, what they've done. Um, right. So yeah, it's it's a it's a process. It's definitely a, it's 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 um it's a lot of work. It's an awful lot of work. I was I was imagining it must similar. be. Yeah, I mean, in one thing that's interesting to me is like you you guys have yet to make a a sequel to either of these games, either Until Dawn or The Quarry. Um, if you were to make a sequel, you talked about making kind of a canological path for the, for, for, so that you could, but I, I was thinking like, if you would do a sequel, it would have to be, you could keep the monsters of the setting, but otherwise you'd have to have all different characters in order to be able to make a sequel because, because of exactly that, that everybody's experience is going to be different. Um, but, but it, it, do you, do you see you guys ever doing a sequel to any of these, either of these games? I mean, ultimately, I, I think I, I think it's a good thing to do a sequel. I think it would be a good, um, uh, especially with this one, which seems to have got a lot of traction with it. Um, again, it's uh, really it's going to come down to finances and demand, and you know, it's it's all as it always does. Um, you know, there, there's a they take up a certain price, and they. And you kind of have to do that. If if we can match that stuff up, then we'll definitely go down that route. And if we can't, then you know we'll we'll either look at another different one or whatever. But it's uh, I think sequels are great, and I do think that idea of of the canonical path setting it up. And we would what we would do is is kind of have a recap at the beginning, um, and we would also have a DLC probably for the quarry that that you could play it through and we would give you little kind of hints for the canonical path. So if you made a choice or, or got something wrong, we could just give you a little, you're off the path and you could rewind and go back that. So you could get that, play that story through and get the ending. And, and it's not just the ending. It's the, it's the, it's the status of where it is. It's all the different bits and pieces. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's with all this stuff, they, they cost a lot of money to make and, you know, you've got to be able to say, you know, to, to, 
developers, publishers, is this worth doing? Is it worth it? Is it, you know, can we make this, can we make this work? When you, I mean, now that the quarry is, you know, been out for when it, when it, when it released? Uh, uh, July, I think. July. Okay. So quite a while now it's been out. Like, um, mm. was the game ultimately successful? Are you happy with the response the game got and, and the feedback? Oh, massively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a, a, more than I thought, actually, more than I hoped. It's been really successful. It's, it's made, uh, the top, you know, top ten of twenty twenty two across the board on so many levels. I think it got the second best horror game on PC ever by uh, um, Game Tracks. I think I was it. I can't remember who it was. Um, th- there's just so many of them. It's been nominated for so many awards. It's got you know the Writers Award. We got the Visual Effects Award. We won Game of the Year for the Tiger Awards. There's, so on that level and and critically as well, just it's been brilliant. It's uh, it was I think it was our highest rated game. That we've ever made, I think. Um, so that's so on that level, fantastic. Um, Sales-wise, I think it's way beyond what we hoped it would be. So again, that all that all works out. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's really it's it's quite heartening to get that. I think the difficulty we have, and it's always a difficulty, is we have a limited audience. I think, and it's like um, you know, there's a, there's a certain number of people that like interactive drama. There's a certain number of people that like horror. Uh, and they and they've got to have a console or a PC, um, and it's hard to get beyond that without changing something significantly. So you know, either making it more gameplay or making it more you know um, more TV ish or making it more filmy. So there's a little bit of um, of kind of like okay, so if your choice is to make this or to make something that's going to make loads more money, what do you do? So mm-hmm. um, so there's there's that side of it, I guess. There's um, it's it's. Uh, it's definitely it's done certainly as far as I'm aware better than I thought it was going to do, um, and got better uh, acclaim. The other thing is is critic wise, there are always going to be people who hate this stuff, um, and they can be really noisy. Um, you know, I've, I've read some reviews where it's just like this is the worst thing ever. You know, there's no great gameplay and it's just rubbish, and it's like. It's like, well, that's, that's not what it is. I get you didn't like it, but that's not necessarily what it is. But when you get a zero and you've got Metacritic, you could be up in the 90s and then suddenly you're brought back down to 80. And it's like, oh, okay, because one person really, really hated it. Yeah. Um, uh, and when you get two or three of those, you know, by and large, we're all, most of our review scores are up in the 90s. Um, uh, and then because of those few, then you, you get brought down. And, and that, that gives you a, a kind of... A, what's the word um it, it it sets it in a kind of like a it, okay it's it not it's certainly not mediocre it's way above that but it's not you know when you're in your 80s you'd think with film that would be a huge thing if you get to, so on imdb we're up at 80 something in imdb which is like or 8.1 for a movie that's amazing yeah. um you know but for a game if you're in in the 70s if you're in the 50s which i still think is a great film uh for a game that's a, that's a failure so um yeah. so it's yeah i don't know it's a weird thing there it's it's about um like i say it's about broadening the audience that's what we really need to do and once we can get that going that's going to make a big difference i think well it's funny cuz one of the things i remember seeing too when i was reading reviews for the games uh, both these games was you had critics like IGN for example which is a massively well known gaming review you know oh. site and app um they seemed to understand that 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 they had to review the game not in the same context as the way they would review Horizon or like that it is its own kind of subgenre within a, yeah. a genre. 
of, of gaming and 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 reviewed it within that context and in and, and both games case gave it a favorable review whereas i saw some uh, gaming critics who were kind of comparing it to games like that or like resident evil village and i'm like it's a totally different format you can't kind of talk about it in the same way that you talk about you can't review it the same way you reviewed those mm -hmm. games but i think of that for me as like as a filmmaker who makes horror films, you know, I've had critics who fucking hate horror movies review your movie, and it's like, no matter what I do, they're not going to like it. Yeah. They it's, hate horror. Yeah, it, yeah. And, and you kind of think, why are you reviewing this? It's like, you know... Just, exactly, uh, yeah. And also, there's a difference now, and I, I find this a little frustrating as well, there's a difference now between opinion and fact. Uh, um, I, you know what, if you don't like something, I'm really, that's fine. You can say, you know what, I thought I didn't like this, I don't like this sort of stuff, I thought this was done badly, um, versus this is shit. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. So obviously it is. If there's, if there's a whole bunch of people who don't think that, then it's not, it's not uh, empirically shit. So, yeah. um, so th that can be a little bit um, disheartening, I guess. Uh, but ultimately, you know, for me, there's enough people that love it. It's got enough traction. It's sold uh, way more, I think, than we thought it was going to do. It's got good reviews and it's winning bunches of awards. So it's kind of like, oh, okay, then well, that's, then I, we're doing the right thing. I mean, I go to a lot of horror conventions and stuff because of the show and, and because you know those are my people i like going out and seeing the booths and talking to people and, and this game has come up a lot with horror fans they loved it they, the reception i've received from people is that anyone who because of the cast because of the setting because of so many reasons because it was clearly made by people who love horror yeah. i think horror fans are very you know i'm, I'm gonna, gonna put it i'm gonna separate horror fans from gamers for a second but i think yeah. horror fans know when when a movie or a game is pandering to them when it's a bunch of studio execs who go well, horror sells let's make a horror game and the guys who made it don't really love horror and they go well this is what these people seem to want make that for them i think mm. horror fans have become sensitive to that yeah. and i think i think it was clear in a game like the quarry that it was made by people who really love the genre yeah. And, and, and you're right, and, then, and you'll, you'll get this as well as, as anyone who does this sort of stuff. The effort it takes to make this stuff is huge. Um, and if, unless, you, unless you loved it, you, you wouldn't do it. There are better ways to, to make money. So, um, you know, you've got to be, you've got to love this stuff. Because it's just, you know, um, I spent seven months away from home just to be able to make this. It's yeah. like... You know, um, I'm not whinging about it. I'm not. That's not like look at me. But you, you know, the, to the level of investment that you put into something like this, um, three years, three years of just doing this um, to make that, and it's like you know, again, that that takes a passion, I think, and not just me, the the cast, the crew, loads of the people at work, the studio, all put that effort in. Um, and uh, and I think you know ultimately there's everything's flawed, but I think ultimately I think it shows through. I think so too. I mean, and and I think I think it's the way that um, people can revisit their favorite horror movie and have a, a feeling about seeing. Oh, I love Laurie Strode or Ash or whoever the character is. Mm. You know, Chucky, whatever it is. Yeah. Horror fans lo love their characters, and I think the the quarry can be like that i could see myself throwing this game on a year from now and and yeah. and going oh it's fun to get back together with these characters and, yeah. you know i mean and, and not that long ago didn't you release some dlc content for the game different outfits and stuff like that 
Yeah, yeah, we did a bunch. We've done stuff too now, and I, and I think we'll carry on doing a bunch. It's like so we did a, an eighties version, so you can dress them all up as eighties um, characters, and we change. There's a there's a bunch of post production that makes it a little bit more videoy. Um, then there's uh, the fifties version, which weirdly is my favourite, and we we made a really good um, uh, post production lookup table to set it in uh, in kind of universal style black and white. That's slightly soft, slightly um, promist style black and white. Um, so yeah, uh, and it, it, it's it's the same acting, it's the same stuff. It really feels different. It's really, I mean, um, and again, it's 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 that sitting down with somebody or a bunch of people and doing it on a TV. I mean, PC is one thing, but PC, you're right there. Um, yeah, and that's that's good for some stuff. Uh, this is definitely designed to be you know seen on a, on a TV and a big uh, screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I think that makes a difference. I think. Is there is there going to be more DLC content for the quarry coming out, or is that done? Well, now? We, we haven't got anything specifically booked to come up right now. But there's if you know, like I say, if we wanted to try and do something where we could do a uh, a, a sequel, then we could definitely think about okay, well, how would we get the canonical path down? Um, but uh, no, at the moment, nothing. Not, there's nothing. There's nothing in the pipe yet. Okay, and so I've got two more questions for you, and then we're all wrapped up. My set, my my. The first one is for people who are listening, and you know, this is I, I have a lot of people on the show talk about you know tips on for people who want to pursue a career as a filmmaker or whatever. But I've never had anyone on the, on the show who does what you do. So if someone wants to direct or make a horror video game comparable to what you guys do here, I mean, not necessarily an exact same ilk, but but like that. What what sort of, you know, would you suggest for people who have an interest like that is the path to go? Like, yours sounds like it was very unique for you. Like, you didn't go to school to take gaming or something or game design, right? Um, so what sort of, you know, advice or suggestions you have for people who might want to get into to the side of gaming that, that you're in? So I think, um, I think, what do I think? So the, the way we do it is quite expensive um, because to get it to high end, um, the, the amount of uh, CG that we can, we're doing involves an awful lot of, uh, well, an awful lot of work, but also an awful lot of tech and expensive tech. Um, so the scannings, uh, to get somebody scanned and, um, and the whole kind of face shaped thing and the conforms uh, and then the, the kind of the costumes and stuff, I mean, it literally costs hundreds of thousands per character so that's a that's a massive barrier to start off with um the second thing is is the is the you know is the actual kind of blocking out of the kind of the story and stuff like that if we're talking about interactive drama i think if you wanted to do interactive drama from scratch and you hadn't got an experience and you don't have loads of money i would do it probably in in live action film uh, either with you know, just, you know, an iPhone or a, or an Android or something, you know, where you're just going, okay, let's try some stuff out. I would use probably um, there's a couple of uh, probably open source programs out there where you can look at how the edit works because ultimately that's all you're really doing is you're, you're altering an edit. Um, if you if you play Bandersnatch, um, which is this uh, this um, Black Mirror thing that they did a while ago, which was a choice based thing that was live action. Um, it's basically it's you get to a point you you effectively have a little kind of pause. It's not a pause. It's a it's a timed window in which you can press a button, and if you press the button left or right, it will jump to another to another chapter effectively on the video. 
Uh, and that works well. It works absolutely fine. And and for that, you can you could start that now. You you wouldn't need to have a massive background in anything other than just making sure that that worked. Um, the the harder side to it is the same. Ultimately, it's the same as any kind of content. It's like if you want to make film and you want to do it well, you need to understand photography. You need to understand storytelling. You need to understand actors. You need to understand writing. It doesn't have to always be you. You can get other people to get that with you, but then obviously that involves more people. To do it on your own, you need to do all that sort of stuff. But that's what people have been doing for years as filmmakers and stuff. So um, I, I don't think the, the the interactive side is in itself uh, a particularly challenging thing unless you're going to go down the high-end um, CG route. And the reason we do high-end CG rather than live action is that it's live the whole time. So we can chop someone's hand off or cut their face or or make them change costumes or do whatever it is or, or even have adaptive performances whilst the game's playing. So that gives it kind of a whole layer of new nuance. What do you do mean adaptive performances, Well, so, so, for instance, um, you can have a performance uh, from one of the actors um, but we've also got all their other expressions. So I could I could dial a smile in to somebody who's talking. Oh, okay. So if I could say the words, um, uh, I don't know, um, I can't think of anything like, oh, the light over here is slightly blinding me. If I said that to you in a pan, deadpan face like this, or if I said it with a, my eyebrows up and I said, oh, the light over there is really blinding me, that that changes the, the way that comes over much yeah. more so than if I'd done it like that. I can dial that in <laughs> into a performance uh, or a smile or a frown. Um, so depending on what has just happened, kind of like the Kuleshov thing, I can put those things in in runtime. Um, so there's there's a level of stuff there. Again, not many people will notice it, but there's, that's there. Um, so uh, there's a guy. There's a guy called I've forgotten his name. Sam Barlow who did her story and has just done another one called Immortality, I think. Um, and that's film-based kind of branchy narrative. Um, and he's massively successful and, and does a lot of stuff on that. Um, so uh, that's that's what I would, I think. It's That's what I would do. It's kind of, uh, think about filmmaking and then to just think about how you can make that branchy. Um, but ultimately it's the same as filmmaking, I think, uh, right. it, which takes a lot of effort, <laughs> as you, I'm sure you know. And, I, and I'm um, sure, you know, like film, it still comes down to, do you have a good story? It like, really does. Uh, I mean, with, with branching stuff, it's, it's harder because um, you can start off with, a, it's, it's a story and it's a scenario, but, you know, having more than one end is a, is a real difficulty. Having a bunch of endings changes a whole bunch of stuff, you know, much more so. So um, the story, and this was another interesting criticism we get, is the number of ends that we have. Um, ends are actually kind of like a slight red herring the story is the journey you take from the beginning to the end um if i if i walk if i get up and walk out of the room uh and um stab somebody next door and walk back into this thing and sit down here and this is the end of my story then that's one story if i get up and go and make a cup of tea and come and sit that back down here the end is exactly the same the journey is massively different <laughs> So, um, Very different, and I hope you yeah. only did the second one in this particular. <laughs> so you know, so it's uh, it's about thinking about how that is, and and, this, and, and remembering that the story is the journey, it's, and it's a really important thing. It's with gamers, it's often about did I win? Um, it's, that's not that's not the point. It's, it's yeah. what what was my story? 
Um, you know, you don't you don't read a book. Although I do know people who do read books and then read the end first to see what happens, and then that's so. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean they do it because they want to see if it's a happy ending or not, and if it's not, they won't read it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think in games like this, it's the epitome of it's the, you know, that, that what's the phrase? It's the journey, not the destination. Like if yeah. you're just looking at like you want to win at the end, you're kind of missing the point, I think. of Completely like, missing the point. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It's, it's, it's about entertainment. And it's like, you know, um, uh, it's about entertainment that you want to do, that you want to play, that you want to experience with your, or either by yourself or with other people. And it's like, you know, that's, that's what it is. And that's and that's ultimately what it's got to be. So I think. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything stopping anybody doing it other than um, time and and, and and skills that you can learn, you know, and you can learn them on YouTube and stuff like that. So. And I think people like have a, you know, I know I did before I had spoken to you. I had imaginary in my, I had, it wasn't based on anything. I just assumptions I had. Well, I, I wouldn't be able to go make a game because I have no, I don't know the tech. I don't know all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, you'd have to know all that to be able to make a game. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I'm talking to you and you're like, well, not really. You can learn a lot of that stuff and pick up this and that. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like yeah. it's I mean, most, not most as different software as I you can get for free. Yeah. Um, you know, most like unreal you can get for free. Um, it's only if you start making money out of it or having a commercial side to it that it becomes a, a cost and it's like, you know, so you can learn that stuff. I mean, learning that, uh, there's, you know what, there's an interesting thing and it's and, and there's a filmmaking renaissance, albeit very short, which is the TikTok uh, era, where there's a bunch of very, very clever filmmakers out there making amazingly creative content with incredible cuts, incredible edits, you know, um, transitions, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I mean, a lot of it isn't that, but there is there is something there, and it's short form, and it's uh, and it's portrait, and it's 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 a really interesting thing where, uh, you know, what if you to describe this five years ago, people would look at you and go, well, well but that's funny, a, I think that's so, a like my phone now has the kind of ability from a camera point of view, from a lens point of view, that when I was first started making films, a camera that can do what my phone now does was huge and I had to have a big ass lens on it. It was like a Sony F900, you know, it was was a 4K camera, but they were, it looked like a robot by the time it was finished being tricked out. Now all that thing is stuff can be done in my iPhone. So it's like that people don't have that excuse anymore. Right. It's like, well, I can't get my access to the camera. It's like, do you have a phone? You've got a camera then. Like um, when I I first started making films, I literally, I had to go, and get what were called short ends, which were filmed. This was yeah, TV. right. Um, and I had to get uh, short ends. I had to borrow, um, you know, Arreflexes or whatever, uh, film stuff. Uh, and you, it was really hard. And then you had to get it developed. Developing, and once it was yeah. developed, and you kind of you got it into other people's baths, what they were called. You got it developed. You got your dailies back, and either you did reversal stock, so you got a straight kind of you know um, print. Um, and then you had to edit it on a Steenbeck or a Moviola. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God, filmmaking was, was really, yeah. was an effort. Um, and the good thing is all that's gone. So now it's about content and creation and stuff like that. The downside to that is everybody else has got that as well. So the competition has gone up. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's uh, it's it, 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 there is this, the stuff that's stopping you really now is, is, uh, is you know, what you want to say and your motivation behind it, I guess. Yeah, Um I mean, it's a, a friend of mine who's a writer. I remember him saying, look, everybody's always had pens. It didn't mean everybody could be a good writer. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's what you do with those tools. and yeah, how you- That's really true. That's really true. Yeah. Um, well, so what are you working on now? What can you, I, I know it's all very hush hush and top secret what you guys are doing, but can you tell me a bit about what you've got coming down and what you're, what you're up to? What uh, 
So, I, yeah, can I? What can I tell you? <laughs> I saw um, a bit of this stuff. There's always stuff before, and I shan't reveal any of the secrets because I. Yeah, no, it's, um, <laughs> it's it's very difficult. It's like uh, obviously we're working on stuff, uh, and obviously it's very much down the route of what I've always been doing. So, so it's kind of you, you can't obviously get an idea of what that is. The, it's a very interesting um, industry. We're, we're we're incredibly secretive, and I'm not entirely certain why. I think it's because it was always about software before, right. uh, but it's the same with everything like that. You know, you don't want to you don't want to shoot your bolt and and uh, and, and say too much too early. Is uh, it? Is it? Let me ask this then: Is it in the horror genre? Can you tell me yes. that part? It is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I think I'm obsessed with horror. I've loved it forever, and and uh, I I honestly, um, people lot of people think it's niche. It's massive. It's one of the most. Oh my god. I just read an article yesterday, like, what was it, uh, Vanity or Variety or one of, one of the big trades said that in 2022, from a box office and revenue standpoint, that horror was by far the most successful genre of Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, um, so definitely working on that. There's a, there's a lot of, of interesting stuff coming down the pipe part of what we were talking about before partly you know the 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 growing of of transmedia uh stuff how that works what's going on with that ips doing this 360 stuff tv companies um and publishers and um console you know owners and there's so much um there's a nexus of tech coming together uh and so we're exploring a lot of what could be done. Um, so it's a little R&D-ish at the moment. Um, we're also writing at the moment. Um, so that's happening. Um, it, other than that, I can't say too much. It's, it's, so there is but, something, though, that, that you're working on something. You've got something yeah, going. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> good, yeah. good. I mean, just because, you know, the gap between... Until dawn and the quarry was what seven years was it? Yeah, yeah, seven years. Yeah, yeah, just under. But yeah, I'm but, hoping. But, yeah, but but it won't uh, be seven yes, years before that would make it. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, there's this that side of it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, because it's just thinking like the quarry. If it came out last year, we've got a long way ahead of us for the, yeah. for your next game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for for coming and talking to me about the game. Oh, it's a real joy, Kevin. I mean, anytime. I'm sorry it's got so dark here. I just realized it's 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 nighttime here. <laughs> no, it, people will have a successful idea of, of of how much time you took to come and chat with me that way. <laughs> no matter how long the editings are being, but but you know, it's it's fun for me because I think you know I I know a lot, and 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 I think listeners know a lot about how movies are made. There's a lot of books and stuff about, you know, and documentaries about filming, but I think the video game industry is, you just described it. So it's much more secret of business. And there's, a, there's, there's not as much out there about how games like this are, have been made and stuff. So mm. I think for people who, who love these games and I'm a person who does, and a lot of our listeners love these games that, that you guys are making, getting the chance to sort of understand a bit more about what goes into it and, and, and how much thought goes into it. And, you know, and, and, on one level, it's very similar to cinema, but on another level, it isn't. So, you know, getting a, a little insight into that has been my, a lot of fun. And so I want to. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Actually. Yeah. It's been good yeah. Um, so, yes, absolutely. You know, whether it's, I hope it's not seven years, but whatever we've got coming up next, you got to come back yeah. and, and tell us about it. And uh, um, because, uh, you know, it's just really fun to see 
a person who loves the genre as much as you do getting to do something innovative and different with it um, because there's so much you know content out there um, you know it's tough I think for stuff to stand out but I think the quarry and until dawn are both standout games for, yeah, for the listeners and for fans so so uh, you know I'm cheering you on brilliant that's really kind <laughs> well thanks so much man all right no, thank you Kevin it's been real it's been real joy and uh, and good luck and let me know if you need anything as well You've been listening to Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts with host and filmmaker Kevin Lane. Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts was created by Kevin Lane, produced by Jason Hill, and edited by Justin Beam. The Spill Your Guts theme and incidental music was created by composer Mike Haddon. Original artwork and design elements generously provided by Matthew Terrian. Spill Your Guts is only made possible by the support of listeners like you. And the most important thing that you can do to ensure that these amazing interviews keep coming is to simply get the word out. You can find us on Facebook by searching Kevin Lane Spill Your Guts, on Instagram by searching one word, Spill Your Guts underscore podcast, and Twitter at Spill Your Guts underscore one, as in the number one. So post, comment, share, like, but don't forget, There's still no substitute for good old-fashioned word of mouth. The best way you can support what we do is to just tell people about us. Your friends, your family, your co-workers, whomever. Anyone with a pair of ears and a taste for guts. This has been Kevin Lane's Spill Your Guts. Thanks for listening.